duelist demands satisfaction. Honor for him is an appetite, an obsession to kill. No apology is accepted, no quarter given. Only death will satisfy honor. You have insulted me! I have strained my patience in order not to do so. But I demand an apology! Strife without reason, a quarrel pursued for its own sake. Pharaoh intends to kill you. Nobody understands why you fight with Armand. I believe you feed your spite on him with no more sense than a nasty, blood-sucking louse. If he so earnestly desires to kill me, he will kill me. Damn it! Kill him! Keep away from him. Keep ahead of him. Put your trust in Bonaparte. demand satisfaction. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no time for us. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie. First of the year. Sleepovers, first of the year. 2018, here we are. 2018 edition. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Jazz hands, it's we're like waving. Ma- it's like match game. Yeah. Match <laughs> game 78. <laughs> Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, yeah. 18. Starring. <laughs> Can you imagine we had, what's his face, um... Uh, of Gene Rayburn as the host, and he'd be such a dick to us. Oh my god! I was watching an episode, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta mention this to Dion," uh, and then I forgot all about it. So you just was it the girl with the hair? Well, there's the one with the girl with the hair. She's like, "Oh, I cut my own hair." He's like, "Yeah, it looks like <laughs> it." <laughs> and they're all hammered, and he's like looking at them, and they're like, "Yeah, that's a good one, Gene." There was some old guy, and uh, he was, you know, they. They wrote down their answers, yeah, and then they go to him for him to say his answer, so then they can compare them. Let's for, hope people even know what for we're people talking to. About. We're going to keep going. Well, now there's the new match <laughs> yeah. game with Alec Baldwin, but and the guy was having trouble coming up with an answer, and Gene Rayboard like Gene like slapped him in the face, like, like trying to be funny, like a little slap, but it was pretty hard. He's like, "Come on." <laughs> And I was like, fucking, he just slapped an old guy in the face on television. I saw him do something where it was like two people came out, and it was like. Uh, he said something to the one lady, and then the other person was African-American. He was like, hey, what are you doing here? What are you... <laughs> and he said something like, I don't know, it was something like, oh, you know, uh, where do you work? And he said something like McDonald's. He's like, oh, you a cashier there? He's like, no, I own the restaurant. He's like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> anyway. But, but, but I do find it weird that, like, every year it's like, match game 74. Because I bet you... Match 75. I bet you they never, they never thought it would go beyond, you know, whatever. And then they were just like, hey, let's keep it going. Why can't it just be match game? Why do they have to say the year every time? And it's funny because you have, there's such a weird, everything's so weird going on. You have like, you know, Richard Dawson becomes a staple on the bottom. Yeah, you have, yeah. um, what's her face? Brett. Brett, uh, Brett Summers? Summers, yeah. She's on the upper left. You have then sometimes uh, Riley. Charles. Nelson Charles Nice Riley. and Riley will sometimes be in the middle. And then you get odd, you get like Radar. Oh, you get, you, <laughs> Radar's you know, on a lot, like it's late the mid, per, but like pre mash. when they when they set them in, yeah, you know, pre like when Charles and Richard when they all have their slots, like Radar was like the was one of the regulars. I saw one last night with Robert um, Vaughn on the top left or 
camera left and I was like oh you know it's in you so and then you then Betty White's always showing yeah, up Betty White. you know and then I had so last night it was Robert Vaughn on top and then below her on the right screen left of uh, Richard <laughs> Dawson, you know, getting all in the weeds. Was, complicated, yeah. was Patty Duke. Yeah. And she was looking hot. Patty Duke, like 70s Patty Duke yeah. with her hair all done up around when she did the um, Helen Keller story, you know. And they then we have that Fanny Faye or Fanny, well, I don't know who she is, but I think she wrote like Fried Green Tomatoes or yeah, something. Yeah, she's on. There's a couple she, people that she's I. She's always on. And then they have. Uh, like the oddball, they'll have somebody like they'll have like Flip Wilson will show up. He's on a lot. Flip Wilson, they'll have somebody yeah. else. But Dawson fascinates me because Dawson, he has that era where he has the beard that looks really cool, you know. And then he always has that face. He does the. <laughs> I can't. I can't do. And him. then they always pick him. Yeah, which I always think the is girls weird. are. And, but it, yeah, he's always. And then you know, I come around with him because I never watched his Family Feud, and I used to thought he was so disgusting because he used to kiss everybody. But mm-hmm. now it's just like he's just being nice, and he met his wife. One of the contestants, he married her, and I think he was loyal to her for the rest of his days or whatever. Well, I think it's just the way it was. Yeah. You, always see, you always see Gene trying to kiss the actress. Oh, Gene's always, the a, yeah. <laughs> Gene's always, you know. Well, it's your first time on the show, so you have to kiss me. And he's always holding the, if it's a good-looking girl, like he's up, he's holding her hard, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing about Richard Dawson is I don't think anybody knows, is like he drops his, he was he's English. He came over here from England. He's on Hogan's Heroes as an Englishman. And then at some point, he le- loses the accent, and he just, you know. So once in a while it'll creep out, but on you know if you watch like uh, Family Feud any of that he's 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 completely Americanized. He's like fuck it, I need to you know we're in America now. <laughs> no, we're only looking forward. Well, anyway, so anyway, speaking of accents, yeah, and speaking of match game, we're here 2018. So um, I don't know if people know, but I am technically a lord or, or laird in Scotland. I can technically use that. I can be called. I can sign documents as mm-hmm. Laird Diambaya or you're in England, Lord Diambaya, because I own a piece of land in Scotland. <laughs> I, a f- a, what is that? A, f- a yard? No. A meter by meter? No. You're, you're giving square? me too much. It's a foot by a square foot. foot. <laughs> it's a foot by a foot. <laughs> There's a Dunnan's Castle in um, in Argyle, Scotland, and, and my mother-in-law for a, cr- a Christmas got me a foot by a foot, so which means I'm legally able to be recognized, but I can't I can't build on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, you know, Dion McBuyer of the clan McBuyer. McBuyers, yes. I'm a Laird. Laird McBuyer. It'd be great air for your throat. That'd be haggis. So I wanted to get that off the table. I I have a lot of notes up top. And it's like, mention Laird, Lord. So I just want to say that this movie. Well, hey, welcome to 2018. 2018. I'm Jay Blake. I am a J. Blake. And I'm I, a J. Blake. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a, a Diana Bai. I'm a Diana Bai. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs> we know how you, if you love our awful yeah. Italian accent. Mi chiamo Diana Allora, so, and then we're, we're, last year we kicked the door in 2017 with an with a epic Escape from New York, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was a very popular podcast for the whole year, which uh, we think we did, a good, we did a good justice <laughs> to it. No, I think it's, a, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's one of my favorite movies, but yeah, it's a good episode as well. And uh, that was the intro to 2017. I, don't, I, can't, I think maybe Night Stalker was 2016. That, that held a little inside information for everyone. That held... The, uh, Escape from New York. Escape from New York held... Our, our episode on Escape from New York held the slot of our most downloaded episode. Yeah, it held number one like all year. thousands. <laughs> yeah, and we couldn't... All year until like two weeks ago. <laughs> because it was the first of the year. So eventually it goes off the front page of our main site and it goes away and it's out of the... 
you know, people. So there's a, there's a there's a out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So there was people who were just still. I couldn't. It was baffles me that it was. It would every once in a while it'd get like there'd be a boost or a bump, and we'd be like, "Whoa, you know, Escape from New York's still climbing." <laughs> gift the gift that yeah. keeps on giving. And it was there until at least maybe into December. I think it was December, right? Yeah. Like two two. It was weeks. like mid December. We um. W- well, no, we couldn't even no. Well, yeah, I guess it was. It was late. December. I mean, but it was it was neck and neck, and we we always watch some and stuff. Then it would got get toppled close. by September episodes. Yeah, uh, our uh, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark and our Blade Runner episode. Yeah, not finally knocked it to third place, and then it was jockeying. But every time something would get near it, somehow Escape from New York would just bump ahead. <laughs> Snake was like, yeah. "No, you don't." Yeah, call me Snake. <laughs> uh, so. Thank you for everybody who's a big uh, Escape from New York fan who just, our parents would just keep redownloading. <laughs> it's, a, it's a favorite amongst the Fisher and Bayer families. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they all the relatives. Download this one. Download. You know, that's probably my dad just hitting it multiple times. What the fuck is this shit? I'm not playing yeah, yet. Exactly. I, does anybody at home have that problem when you, when you, I don't know, I have my, my father will call me and he starts the conversation with, let me ask you a question. I know it's going to be like, oh, for fuck's sake. I'm trying to get the computer to talk to the printer. You know, they're right next to each other, but they can't talk to each other. I'm telling them, <laughs> look, you're right next to each other. I have these com- terrible, terrible computer problems. And I'm not a computer person. But anyway. But uh, the movie we're doing tonight. Yes. Yes. It's late. So we're, we're already tired. We've, we fell asleep. Yeah. It's, it's a late, late we were night. We're going to try to do a... Highlander, Highlander Two: The Quickening, double feature. But yeah, well, that's what we're doing. It today. just got too late, so got we're just doing late. the first. <laughs> yeah, we thought we were going to do the entire series too. And we're like, <laughs> but that, but that has to do with. I'm fascinated with the Highlander phenomenon. Yes, dun, 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 which dun, is dun. why I've been wanting to do this show, uh, probably since we started the the this episode. Probably since we started the show back in uh, odd fourteen, and uh, so. Because, I mean, there's a couple of reasons, but one is I just find it fascinating that a movie that didn't do so well critically, didn't make any money in the box office, has spawned five sequels, two live action TV shows, an animated series, a series of comics, books, audio plays. Uh, A very diehard fan club. And that's a fan club that's pre-internet. You were doing. I remember I had a, a friend of mine when I worked at the toy store when I was in high school. A good friend of mine, a uh, kid named Clint. He was a huge. That was when the show was on TV. Yeah, yeah. The a lot live of people like the show, but but there had but the fact that the show existed at all yeah. is kind of crazy to me. But he was a he was a uh, he would do all kind of sword crap. He'd show me pictures of him flipping <laughs> a sword around. He had long hair down to his shoulders, and he was part of. I don't know the details, but it was something like, you know, it was like a mail order. He'd write yeah, something, yeah. he'd send it away, and then you'd get correspondence I, that way. You'd I go had to conventions. A, I had a roommate, I don't know, for six years or something. When I lived in I lived in Port Chester for six years, and I had a roommate that was way into the show. He, Ooh, Nuvian? Uh, Nuvian, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he bought all the DVDs. He had all, however many seasons. One day, a sword fucking showed up. <laughs> And was it? And uh, he had a trench coat and a sword. And you know what? Now that I think of Nuvian in my head, I can see he is a freaking Highlander. <laughs> and he, last time I saw him, it's been a couple of years. Last time I saw him, he, I don't know what what you know what uh, brand of car or whatever. Yeah. But he was he was driving a Highlander. Was the name of the car? <laughs> <laughs> it's a special. It was the model? Yeah. <laughs> Screw people who like the bullet Mustang. <laughs> There's the Highlander, like Nissan Highlander or whatever it is. 
you know? <laughs> but uh, so I'd never seen the show. Uh, when I lived with him, I was like, I'll watch the first episode because Lambert is in the first episode. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, it's like passing the torch That's pretty from sweet. Lambert to... From Connor McLeod to Duncan McLeod. And I love Duncan McLeod. I think he's uh, a great guy. And I'm a big fan of Endgame, the movie, the crossover movie. Okay. I saw that in the movie theaters with... Nuvian. With Nuvian. What's the... What's it... How is that a... What is it... It's the two of them are in a movie together. Oh, oh, duh. Okay. So it's Highlander Endgame. Yeah. Yeah, Highlander Endgame. Yeah. Uh, with both Connor and Duncan McLeod. That's pretty sweet. Donnie Yen. That might be like the first... Of the Donnie Yen as like the Asian martial arts guy in a group, <laughs> in a movie, and we got you got the, that one. I feel like there's a Hellboy that has Donnie Yen as mm. uh, for, uh, for uh, Rogue One. Another okay, Donnie yeah, Yen yeah, yeah. as like the <laughs> as the yeah. Asian kung fu <laughs> member yeah. of the, he, of he's the, the clan. stock guy. Yeah, uh, but I'm a big Donnie Yen fan, so I was I was into uh, seeing him in Endgame. But yeah, the show I just I never the show never caught on with me. I've always loved the movie. Um the original. I, I remember renting the movie probably when it was a new release at my dad's house on the at the Rite Aid, which we've discussed many a time on the show. Yes. <laughs> it's funny that everyone like listening is like nodding like yes, you're out. Yes, we know that. Oh yeah, the Rite Aid with the with the with the poster pages that you turn. Chunk chunk. Now, last summer, not this previous summer, but the summer before the most recent summer, we did Tarzan. We did Greystoke. That was our July 4th. Legend of Greystoke, Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. I'm glad you got all that out with breath. <laughs> with Christopher Lambert. Yeah. So uh, between that, which I remember seeing in the movies, and then renting Highlander, like I've always been a lifelong. I'm a lifelong Christopher well, Lambert lover. I'm self-proclaimed. Yeah. <laughs> That goes back to college. One of, one of Christopher Lambert's biggest fans. Uh, we watched uh, Mean Guns because is it Lambert and Mean Guns? Yeah, I think it was that was yeah Mean Guns. Lambert and Ice T and that other guy that looks like a poor man's Charlie Bronson was in that. Who <laughs> was in a couple movies around that era? That Tiny guy. might be in that too. Tiny Lister. Yeah, <coughs> you might be right. Yeah, yeah. But I remember he might be. You I'm loved uh, yeah, Lambert, and I've, I've it's always baffled me the fascination your fascination with Lambert. Um, I never I could take him or leave him, but. Watching this finally for the first time, I had never seen this all the way through. I've seen it in chunks growing up, and uh, you know who doesn't love what's his face, uh, Clancy Brown, and you know I've, you yeah, know the yeah. other people, the bit players in it. But seeing him in this, and then watching the interviews of him, it's like, yeah, he's a pretty cool guy, Lambert. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, know he's I like him better. To Diane Lane, I know. they have kids together. I mean, I, I think he's cooler now when you watch him in the interviews, like older, like reflecting it. All. He's like, oh, he's cool. yeah, he's really cool. You know, yeah, I always like Lambert. I mean, remember, I remember when. You know, when I got into my teens and I started going through the, like the mob movie phase, he's in the Sicilian. Yeah, written by Mario Puzo. Yeah, uh, and then just I've just always been a fan. I like Highlander movies. I remember I remember renting the, the Highlander two. Yeah, at a for sleepover mm-hmm. uh, in my probably elementary school. Is days. he in all of them? He's in all of them except for the last. The latest. The two, I think there's like, after Endgame, there's like a, an anime yeah. feature film. And then after that, there's one with Duncan. Okay. Uh, that <clears throat> I don't think he's in. Because I, I remember... The, but he's in the first four. I remember the third one. Um, I brought the guy up who lived down the street from me when we did the Falling Down podcast. He was like the manager of the Blockbuster, the, the district manager of the Blockbusters are where I grew up. And I remember he brought like the screener tape home. 
and I went over his house like during the day, and we had like the front door open. And we watched like that. That's and that's the last time I've the seen third the third one. one. Yeah, with, with Mario, Mario Van Peebles. I like the third one, but like Mario Van Peebles does like a voice through the whole thing that I think gets old for me as a yeah. viewer. It gets kind of old. <laughs> and then so that was my frame of reference to the series. I remember the bits of the second one, and then bits of the first one, and then when the series came out on TV. I was kind of. I watched a couple episodes, and I liked they used Queen, and I always liked that guy. I liked that guy better than Lambert, um, the guy who played Duncan. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought he was so cool looking, and see, because he looked Adrian to me like Paul. Is that yeah, his name? he looked to me like you know the guy who played Renegade. Remember him? <laughs> like, like <laughs> Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah, Lorenzo Lamas. Like, yeah, I saw look. Adrian Paul in Times Square one time. I was just walking up. How long ago? Broadway. Man, it was probably like. Ten years. Ago. How'd he look? Look, look the same. He looked good. Like he's a Highlander. He had some like really styling sunglasses on. Yeah, he looks like he's, he's like, like the decked out Italian. Like he, or I was like, damn, <laughs> damn, Adrian, <laughs> damn Highlander, you look good. <laughs> I can break me off a piece of that. Yeah, I can feel a quickening going down <laughs> down right now. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> He's like Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes Only in New York. <laughs> sometimes you do see a guy and you're like, that's a good looking yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, and of course. I definitely thought that. I was like, that's the fucking Highlander. Yeah. And that's a good looking guy. Look at him. Uh, but uh where were we going? Oh, and I saw the series and I liked the series and he was my favorite. I liked him over Lambert when I used to do yeah, it. My yeah, yeah. I'm a you know, I'm not a Highlander fan by you know, there's a lot by of, trade. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people who probably, you know, are a lot more than I am. So it's like, I, you know, I was I'm a, a Highlander purist. Yeah. Um, I remember the Land Bear. What's the name of the Land Bear movie where it's the, um, it was like a, uh, like a take off a seven. That was really good. Oh, uh, well, that, that's, that's, I think it's called Resurrection. Yeah. Uh, that's my favorite of the seven ripoffs. Yeah. And it's. That was written by Lambert. Yeah. But directed by Russell Mulcahy. Yeah, it was. That directed Highlander. And I remember... Um, and it has a cameo, a small part by David Cronenberg. And I remember that being... The, the cinematography in that was quite good. The atmosphere, it looked very Seven-ish, which was cool. And then the guy who... I think the guy who's the... Who shows up in a lot of bit stuff, but he's the killer in Bone Collector, that mean you picked out in the theater. With the uh-huh. glasses, he's in Saving Private Ryan. Spoiler. He's in, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if, if, if you haven't seen that, it's 20 years old. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about that is that guy you're talking about. Yeah. He's, and he's I like not him a the lot. bad guy in this movie. He's yeah. like Christopher Lambert's partner. They're, yeah, they're yeah, cops. Yeah. Is that they walk in, they go into a scene, and the way he holds a gun. I can't, you know, I can tell he's never held a gun. Yeah, this is the this is not you know you guys can't see me, but he holds the gun like this. Yeah, and it's like he holds the gun like if he fired, I think he's gonna like break his nose. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna kick back right into his face. Yeah, uh, but that's the only thing I remember watching. I'm like, that's what the hell. But Resurrection, I like Resurrection a lot. I I did a uh, not to go off a beaten track, but I have a, a Blake knows this, but I don't you know really uh, talk about it a lot. But I have a very 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 bit part in The Departed. The 2006 movie. If you blink, you'll miss me. I was an extra in it, and I was an extra in the scene where you had one of the one of the scenes is at the police academy, and we were firing these guns, and it was the first time I fired fired blanks out of an automatic um, uh, pistol, and I had shot weapons before in the past, so I knew how to hold the gun. And you'd be surprised that you had all these actors who were like all like you know. Uh, by trade, they're actors and all that. Didn't even know how to hold a gun. So these guys are holding it like on top of the slide like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I was like showing people. You guys never played G.I. Joe yeah, in the G- backyard? Yeah, cowboys and Indians? 
You never went out in the snow with your best friend and played G.I. Joe in the backyard for five or six hours? Which, by the way, Deanna and I did. We did at the age that. of 20. Yeah, we did that when we were, we were snowed into Blake's house up in Albany for, for like a week. And after we exhausted the video, my the mom, Captain Video. My mom, we were crazy. We broke out the fake guns. We're in the middle of the well, night. Well, because we went downstairs. This is, we're getting now in the weeds. We went down into Blake's basement and we were going through, like, we found, like, the black hole figures. We found yeah. this, that. And we were, like, it was getting, we watched, that's the time we watched Mean Guns, mm-hmm. which we that, just brought that, up. That week. We watched, uh, what was the other movie we watched up there? We watched, um, we had the fat had sandwiches at substitute substitute we bought but then we watched like maniac or something joe spinellish because i bought they were selling videos and i bought the fat albert they had a video there fat albert and captain we, video captain video yeah we were but so anyway so we we and then we had this big blizzard remember it was like we, we almost didn't make it back when we were driving back yeah, we had to yeah, stop yeah. because my parents minivan was like icing up and you know so we were stuck for how long were we in your parents? I don't know. And then we just were like, we were bored out of our ass. We're like, hey, let's go out and play war. <laughs> so we went so out in the, the snow. So nobody called the cops. Yeah. Two all grown men running around with guns yeah. in, in, in the, the backyard. In the winter. So in the snow. In the snow. So that means like there's no cover. All the leaves don't come down. So it's just these barren trees and we're in the backyard playing war, you know. Uh, I think it was like a mixture of Predator. I don't know what the hell. What, what was our... What our um, yeah, I don't remember. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we went up in my tree fort. We did go up in your tree fort. Yeah. Was, by then, I was worried that the, 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 the wooden ladder was so like rotted from sitting out in the rain and snow for so many years. I was afraid we were going to See, gonna that's collapse. how comfortable we are with the Saturday Night Sleepovers audience that we're telling you that we're at, at age 20. We weren't even <laughs> drunk or high under any... We weren't any, under any we made narcotic. A, we made a sweet mixtape. We made a sweet mixtape that we still have. <laughs> To this day, we made a yeah a sweet ass cassette we were, tape. We were doing that was like that was really the be- that was the first incarnation of Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. Was that mixtape? that week? Yeah, uh, yeah, and then that was uh, I still have that mixtape. I got to burn that to CD. But uh, back to uh, so what on task? About? Yeah, so Highlander. Oh, so the guy. So was that is that Resurrection a good movie? Yeah, I like Resurrection. I gotta a see lot. it again. The directed by Russell Mulcahy. Yeah, yeah Mulcahy. Who directed good. this movie? Yeah, I saw a list on Facebook that was like good, great, good movies directed by bad directors, and like the front image of the article was Highlander. I said, "Oh, come on, Russell Mulcahy, he's not that." Bad. No, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ricochet. And he yeah. did Ricochet. Yeah, I know you're a big Denzel fan. Yeah, I love Denzel. Me and him go way back. Him and John Lithgow or Lithgow. I love his you first go. movie, Razorback. I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of people see it because at least maybe it is now, but for a long time you couldn't get it here. Yeah, it was like you could order the like an imported like a region, region two or whatever, yeah. whatever Australia's region. Yeah. is. Uh, and that's how I saw it for the first time. Uh, I've never seen Razorback. Ric- Ricochet, yep. The Shadow, yeah, um, favorite of ours. He also directed Resident Evil Extinction in two in two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, Which is the pretty? That's the one out in Vegas. I think that was pretty good. It was like on the desert. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's the remnants. It was that, a good one. Yeah, and then uh, he directed a bunch of episodes of Tales from the Crypt back in the day. How can you go wrong there? And he directed, including the pilot, a lot of episodes of the new Teen Wolf series for MTV. Yeah. Uh, so he's still yeah. he's still kicking it. And then prior to that, he had I mean, and he for, had a huge career in music. Videos. Yeah, and and he's the pioneer of his his video for what is the the Buggles? I forget the, the guy video killed the radio star. That was the first video ever to go on MTV. He did that. I mean, his list of videos of yeah. Elton John, Paul McCartney, he did a sh- Billy Joel, he did a shitload of Elton Queen. John. He did a bunch of El- uh, Billy Joel's 
uh, early to mid '80s ones. Yeah, like Allentown and, and uh, uh, Pressure. Pressure. Yeah, he did uh, a bunch of Duran Duran. Yeah, he also he did uh, that might even totally clips of the here. heart. Total clips of the heart. Tyler. Uh, he did a he did some Queen stuff. He did Sex Pistols. He did a lot. He did some. I mean, and these were major. Major videos. I'm big at the time, you know, like, you know, they were getting major exposure. So he was on the scene, like, and he was, I mean, they, they've had videos prior to MTV, you know, in this late 60s, they did like, you know, David Bowie, The Doors had videos, but like he was one of the guys that put that kind of style on the map. So, you know, he's very underrated, at least for that. I mean, yeah, like yeah. subconsciously, we've known his work, at least our generation of people our age from watching MTV for who knows yeah, how long. We like the Wolf, yeah. Duran Duran. Classic. I mean, you know, and I think one of the one of the Duran Duran videos he did was that got him noticed for. I mean, for the people who were the producers doing this movie, yeah, you know. And then they went back and saw Razorback, and they're like, you know, he, he could he could be somebody we could use. Well, it's interesting because you know you can't. I mean, you really can't. At least I can't. And I'd say I'm fairly knowledgeable knowledgeable when it comes to film. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't like. I don't know. You can't name that many Australian directors. For me, there's like George Miller yeah. and Russell Mulcahy. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. And then whoever did Strictly Ballroom and whoever did uh, that other one with uh, uh, Muriel's wedding. That might, was that, that might have been, was that Australian or New Zealand? Uh, I thought it, I thought it was Australian. Could be. Anyway. Anyway. But I don't know their names. Yeah. Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Style. Those are the only two guys I can yeah. think of. And, and, and I am terrible with names, so I always defer to you. You're my Nancy Reagan. I forget people and Banks like, that's, uh, that's your best friend for 20 years. <laughs> Thank you. So, so. But uh, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine. Who <clears throat> um, <laughs> will be named nameless. <laughs> a buddy of mine uh, who is also an editor, he has now taken a fancy to hanging out <laughs> at the Applebee's in Times Square. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you want to meet at the Applebee's? I was like, okay. It's like a block away from my house. Well, that's so. funny, though, because all the... Uh, another fact that I don't know if anybody knows, but there's an Applebee's, there's an Olive Garden, and there's another there's another big franchise, Chili's or something, but they're they're really... They're more expensive yeah, than the, yeah. uh, the one lobsters. you go... Red There's a Red Lobster. Yeah, and I don't like that they jack up... You know, you can go to the one at your local mall... And yeah, that's yeah. one thing. But then when you go to the ones at Times Square, they and they're have, like, oh, all you can eat shrimp? No, we don't do that here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, your free breadsticks? No, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But uh, so, I don't know. Get back to Applebee's. I, he went there after a movie because it's right above the movie theater. It's right above the AMC uh, movie theater on, on uh, 42nd Street. Yeah. I guess he went there after seeing La- Last Jedi. Okay. And uh, so he, he likes going there. I guess it's easy for him to get to the train station from there and certainly easy for me. So I'm like, yeah, I'll hang out at fucking Applebee's for sure. Yeah, All sure. I got is piss beer, but yeah, whatever. Applebee's on 42nd Street, right? <laughs> at three in the morning? It's funny that when he texted me the first time, he's like, yeah, you want to meet at Applebee's? And I texted back like, what, do you got a coupon or something? <laughs> like, where, like White Plains? Where do you want to visit? Where's an Applebee's? Like, All the Apple- All the bars in New York City, and that's where you want He's going to listen to this episode. He's going to be mad at me. But, uh, <laughs> but I digress. But a couple days ago, I was uh, we were having a beer at yeah. Applebee's. As you do. And uh, we were talking about movies. Yeah. And uh, I have some other things going on. And we started uh, outside of the this podcast and that have to do with Phantasm. And so we were talking about the Phantasm movies. And he was telling me that he didn't never really, the Phantasm movies never really did anything. He's only seen the first one and he didn't really like it. And I said, you know, the thing about Phantasm that I really appreciate is that it is 
totally unique. Mm. Like even today, like yeah. you watch it today, it's still there's no movie like Phantasm. Yeah, it's out there. It's such a crazy, it's like a Hellraiser, whacked out idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that it's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean whether you, whether you like it or not, you have to give it. Uh, you know the proper respect. Even the franchise, not even just the yeah, original. yeah, yeah. But yeah. even if you'd only seen the first yeah. one, and then the franchise continues. Like I really like. I think it's the fourth one. I, I really love the fourth. I one. love the second one, the chainsaw fight one. Yeah, the with the flying one's balls great. and those two guys. I mean, that's all. Uh, but there's just such a wacky ass idea. And then there was another movie that I was like, I love for the same reason. But I think for me, my love for Highlander has to do with that because <laughs> it's so it's so. Such like a weird, unique kind of idea. Like, sure, we're playing with the kinds of stuff that we were talking about when we did Star Wars last month. You know, the hero's journey. It's yeah. a very similar story in that. You know, Ramirez is definitely like the Obi-Wan character. Yeah. Uh, McCloud is definitely a reluctant hero. It's somewhere... Who, also very much a Christ figure. I mean, he's resurrected. In yeah. The movie. And, he, and then there's the idea, which I don't know if they really get into, but isn't it something that Clancy Brown, the Kurgan, was somehow trained by Connery's character? So there was some sort uh, There's of, definitely history between there's them. Some, that might be explored in the novelization, or that's there's something that, that is alluded to in another, in another so movie. So there's definitely familiar elements to it. But as, the, as well as it plays on the vampire myth a little bit. Well, sure, but so this it has whole that. aspect... But like, the whole, the immortal, the quickening, the prize, this thing. It's so unique in, in a way that I just adore it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, uh, it's just, it's a weird phenomenon. I think that's obviously one of the reasons why it's it's accumulated such a passionate fan base over the years. But uh, not a vocal fan base from my opinion opinion because we all know star trek fans oh you know there's there's people who are star trek fans there's people who are star wars fans there's you know um i'm sure there's others like harry potter you know but you don't ever see you know hordes of highlander guys getting together to do not a lot of highlander t-shirts although i would totally wear highlander yeah yeah, of course i mean (laughs) you know but they're not i mean i guess you could probably you know and and i'm sure you can i you know if you get like your entertainment earth magazines you could probably get yourself a badass katana or some sort of big yeah they definitely sell swords i know know you can get like you can get the connor mcleod katana yeah you can get the duncan mcleod katana yeah because uh as I stated, I have a roommate that has one. <laughs> <laughs> and a car. Or I had a roommate yeah. that has one. Uh, but so is so this has been with you for since you've seen I mean it's always since because we've never talked about this. Probably eighty seven, <clears throat> I guess. Yeah. Um and I think one of the you know it's it's definitely one of the contributing factors to my love for Lambert mm-hmm. is my uh nostalgia for seeing this movie. And the other one. And and Grace, the legend Grace, Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, <laughs> yes. trademark, uh, and uh, but it, but it has to do with like the complete kind of uniqueness of it. I mean, you know, somewhat stylistically. I mean, stuff like the transitions from the past to the present to the past and stuff are really cool. And I think nowadays they seem almost cliche like 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 the show arrow does those kinds of transitions in every episode but back then i don't think it was as big of a thing well that's the one of the things that stuck out with me when i when we watched it was not seeing it all the way through is just how uh 
amazing the camera work is and the yeah, transitions it's a and the beautifully just, photographed yeah, movie for you sure know, and, and that, even you know if you don't even like the story i think if you can watch if you watched it muted or something you know it, it really stands out this the cinematography and right. i also think that much like rocky mm-hmm. uh you know like rocky is a certain kind of movie and there's several sequels and but none of and all the sequels i love all the sequels but they don't feel like rocky's its own beast like rocky's you know in a way like rocky's a real movie and the sequels although you know you could two is much much more in the vein of of the, the original and then balboa rocky balboa and stuff like that but there's like the three and four and five they they just have a different vibe to them mm. And had you just seen three, four, and five, and then you went and watched the first one, you'd be like, "Wait, this is like, if you you know, if you never saw the first one, you would you would probably it would be a little jarring, just the, like the, the the feel of it." <clears throat> and I remember, and I feel like Highlanders like that too. If you'd like, seen the other <clears throat> stuff before, you'd like seen the, the original. sequels <clears throat> are great and fun sequels, but the first one is going for something. That the other ones don't go for. Yeah. And I remember um, showing this to uh, an old friend of mine who, <clears throat> I should say an ex-friend of mine, but someone that you and I went to college with. And he had never seen the first one. And I was like, let's watch Highlander. And he's like, all right. So we watched Highlander. And like halfway through, he's like, this is a real movie. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I was expecting like a straight-to-video action fantasy movie, which is much more what like the third one feels like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not the that's that's not a negative against the no, third one. No. It just has a different feel, vibe yeah, to yeah. it. And the first one does definitely have. They're going for like a costume drama, you know, through yeah, the ages. Periods, yeah. uh, Michael Kamen's score is epic. Yeah. Uh, in in scope. Of orchestra and stuff, and, and get a beat band and like Queen, and then you got Queen, which you know, you doing know, half the soundtrack, you know, adds a whole different element of credibility in a totally different way because Queen, by that point, you know, they were making their comeback around then, yeah, uh, you know, around the Montreal Festival and then Live Aid and yeah. stuff, and so they were becoming really big again. So then to have like a really huge band like Queen devote that many songs to a, to a soundtrack yeah. was kind of a big deal. Um, and so in a way, like, I feel like, you know, in, in some ways the first one is almost weighed down by the sequels. Uh, well, the people say that if, if you kept the, the, the first one is so beautifully wrapped that if that was the standalone of the yeah. f- without it ha- becoming a franchise, it would be a perfect ending. You know, they live happily ever after. You know, where this, <clears> the <throat> second or third, you know, they, it evolves into some, you know, a franchise. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I said, I enjoy them all. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't seen the second one in a long time. Um, and I know the second one gets a lot of shit, but... Uh, Why? It just because it takes a very different... Uh, didn't did uh, Mulcahy do the second one? He did, but you know it was one of those deals where like Lambert and Mulcahy, when they did the first one, they signed a deal that they would come back to do the second one. So it's not like the second one was like Russell Mulcahy's brainchild or anything. It was like he was contractually obligated to do it. Well, they got movie. Connery to come back, right? He's in <laughs> they the did get one? Connery to come back, and I doubt that he signed a deal that said he, he would come he, back. I think he just had such a good time. Um, 
But it, it only necessitated the second one because of the popularity that it it got once it got on video. Video, yeah, it's and, one of those movies yeah. that because like like I said earlier, like it didn't do well. No, uh, and it got mixed reviews critically. So it's it's a, it's it didn't one, even make its own money back when it, in the theater. It only you know, netted it, it budgeted nineteen million. It only made about thirteen million yeah. in the theater. So that's technically a failure, you know. Uh, well, to a studio, <laughs> to you any know? kind of yeah, business, yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not making you know you lose millions of dollars on something. Yeah, so it's, it's so in that you usually don't get a sequel after that. But it like instantly caught fire on video, yeah. and that was kind of the beauty of video, and what people forget now. And that wasn't the case, and like that medium didn't. It happened. In a, it happened in a way oh, with television re-airings. Like we, I'm sure we've talked about uh, the Christmas movie with the, uh, Christmas Story. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Like that was not a that wasn't it, even considered a Christmas movie when no, it came out. No. Um, but then, it, like the right public are, domain, it became yeah. public domain. So television just started airing like crazy, it. and it became yeah. a classic. It's like Night of the Living Dead. Same thing with Night of the Living Dead. Got a public domain. Everybody started airing it, and then you know. Uh, but so you, that kind of happened a little bit before home video. But once home video happened, like there was the, that was really the first time that a movie could have a completely new and different life past the movie theater. Yeah, and I'm sure we've talked about a huge plethora of movies that we've done other episodes of where this has happened. Oh, sure, the thing, John Carpenter's yeah. the thing, Big Trouble in China. Yeah, and it's and it's stuff that a number of Carpenter movies. You know? Yeah, and it's stuff that wouldn't it wouldn't have happened without video. You didn't, it could, it's hard to find a you know it's I guess that on television and, you that could. and like HBO, yeah, and cable. You know, well, there's a lot of times we'll get messages from listeners. They're like, oh yeah, I used to watch I watched that movie on HBO a million times when yeah. I was a kid. Well, because it's funny, yeah. If you get a movie that when it comes out and they play the crap out of it on HBO, that's how a lot of movie channel. That's how I saw a lot of you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you de- it definitely it. You know, it's and it's one of those things like the thing or something where it's like, oh, that didn't really do well, and then you got to like hope it, it gets a following, and then you know you wait twenty years and just and then this. It built such a following where I don't know I don't know the history of the fan clubs or yeah, that you yeah. know, the societies, but but the know. the second to answer your question, the second one takes it in a completely different weird direction. They're going to different dimensions. It's maybe? like way in the future. Takes it starts way in the fucking future. Yeah, and it tr- attempts to explain who the immortals are wow. and how they got here, uh, and without spoiling it for anybody, uh, that those reasons are like you're like what. <laughs> You know, it just has a. To- I mean, it's it's fun. It's got Lambert and uh, Connery and Michael Ironside is the bad guy yeah. in it, and, and so, Virginia Madsen is in it. Yeah, and it's a big spectacle yeah. of a movie. To you know, it's a big fucking spectacle, like like a totally like ni- early nineties spectacle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, much in the vein of. You know, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, I remember being a lot of colors, right? You know, and it was, yeah, yeah. Um, They're on city streets that are clearly like uh, inside a studio. But uh, the first one, which we're talking about tonight, just there's just there's. I feel like as much as I love it, and uh, and so much of it works for me, I feel like it you. You can read things into it more than than that they're perfectly clear in terms of like themes and stuff and and maybe that just comes with multiple viewings or reading about it and stuff i I feel like I appreciate it now even more than I did in previous years, and I think that it just comes from multiple viewings and 
uh, maturity. I and mean, we've talked about lots of things, especially like on the, the when we did the when we did Rocky. You know how like move how you view movies kind of change. Like this time around, watching it in recent years, and especially this time around, like the love story the in the past. His like Connor and Heather's love story in the past, I found like very moving. <laughs> Did this time around? Yeah, yeah. like I like because you know, with the age, you're starting to. You always hear that cliche with age becomes not you know. Yeah, and it was like as uh, you know when she would have like the big montage of where like you know, spoiler alert, Ramirez dies. Yeah, and uh, you know we'll talk about all that stuff more, but specifically like. Their life together, and on then the it's hill. like he they have their life together, and it's like this montage, and and one of the great things that came and did with the score is as actually listen to what Queen was doing, and incorporate like the melodies that Brian May was writing for <clears throat> like uh, Who Wants to Live Forever into the score, yeah, and it's it's very powerful. because uh, it's a beautiful melody, and so it, not only is a pop like a pop song that. Brian May wrote for the movie, but it becomes a theme within the movie orchestrally. And so when they have the, their life together, and then he's like, you know, he we cut to him, and he's Connor McLeod, just the way we've always seen him. And he's like, Heather, where are you? And then she comes up over the yeah, thing, she's and she's old. Yeah. I got like all, <laughs> I got all misty. Well, so. <laughs> And then the scene when when they're laying in bed. Yeah, and she passes. I, like, I, I got very, I got I very teary. I had to pass you the tissue box. You know, it happens with me all the I time. I was very moved by it. Well, you know, it's so, you know, uh, I find that to be a very interesting angle in this. The, the idea of, like, for me, I can, for me watching it, and since I've never seen it all the way through, some stuff seems dated to me. Sure, you know what yeah. I mean? And But I think it's one of these things where, you know, when you go back and watch it and watch it, you appreciate something else more, like you're saying, you know. And, you know, you take away all the visual splendor of it. It is a powerful story, that, and then they do a good way of telling it. Yeah. And uh, it is the, the angle. It is interesting that you have that idea, like, the, you know, the, the idea like of a vampire, like the, that 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 question that's asked you know who wants to live forever <laughs> as yeah. the song says because you know it sounds great on the on the face of it but well that's kind of it and i don't that's kind of what i mean by like i don't i feel like you can read things into it more than i feel like it's clear because i feel like a very big theme of the movie it, it's there but it could be way more emphasized which is that immortality is a complicated gift. Like it's not could be a curse. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's totally, you know what you make of it. You know, the pun, you know, semi intended, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. You know, like it's there's this idea of like we, we have this fear of death, but then what does being immortal in a world where you're the only one, what does that mean? Um and Ramirez, Sean Connery's character, like, warns him of that. He's like, you should leave. Because yeah, leave I'm her. telling you, I want... It's happened to me. Like, I know the pain. And I want to spare that. But he doesn't. Um, and, I mean, there's a whole... We kind of dove into the middle of this. I mean, that... Right all, at the deep end. All that has, has a lot to do with the... But it all has to do with a lot of the things I'm talking about. Like, to me, it's it's never clear... Until this viewing, it had never been clear as to, like, why 
he decides to. I mean, I guess Heather dies, and what else is he going to do? But he 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 throws away his sword. Yeah, he puts the sword. Kind of marks Heather's grave with his sword, and he takes Ramirez's sword, which to me signifies that like, okay, I've accepted the fate that I was kind of reluctant to accept. Which also, is, his life here is over. Yeah, my li- life's here is over. But I also kind of felt this time. I felt like having Heather die and having him have that heartbreak was like Ramiro's R- Ramirez was right. He was right about this. So he's probably right about everything else. Too. <laughs> you know, it was like I it, it took her to die one to kind of free him from from having, you know, an anchor you know there of a, of a of a real domestic well, there's, life. There's nothing else left for him there now, you know. But I also felt like it was like okay, he was now like ready to heed like Ramirez's words, which was before. Sure, he was letting Ramirez trade him, and he was learning about the quickening, and he was discovering these things about himself. But uh, I think like that's like the defining mark for both of those reasons. Like, I, there's nothing for me for here for me here in, in the Highlands of Scotland anymore. Plus, you know, Ramirez, he warned me. And I should maybe heed his other warnings <laughs> about what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, part of the reason why, you know, the reason why I was talking about how, you know, that this movie's so unique and I love it for that reason. And for years I was like, wait, who comes up with this? Because they come up with a, a, a pretty complicated, in-depth kind of... Uh, key bible you know like a mythology that gets a you know that starts in this movie and then gets taken like we said through five sequels two television shows you know books now how versed are you on all that because not so much i had some questions and i don't think i i don't know if i missed them but uh and excuse my ignorance for the people who are going to get mad at me but is he immortal when the mo- the movie begins? He's immortal. He just doesn't know it, or does he somehow become immortal? Okay, so ha- what, you know I, what I mean, what I believe <clears throat> happens, like with the whole s- the, bo- the the fight scene with the I Scottish. Believe, I believe it's explained in in other movies. To my recollection, and I'm no expert, so again, forgive me. Also, I believe what happens is you're only immortal. You're like you have it in you, but it doesn't. Blo- it doesn't hatch like it doesn't blossom you don't become immortal you like you have the gene yeah but it doesn't come Everybody. into effect no oh like these, these like yeah. he did okay <clears throat> but it <clears throat> but had he not died a violent death when what's his face yeah. yeah like had he just grew up and died of old age he would have died he would have just been normal and i guess when you if you're if you die a violent death you're then that age forever so if like he got you know, some guy broke into his house and he got like horribly murdered at like ninety. He'd be ninety. He'd be ninety for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> would fucking blow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, in some ways, luckily. Here we are. <laughs> and so, it was because of it's because the Kurgan killed him in battle that he yeah. becomes immortal. Yeah, but the Kurgan knew who he was because the Kurgan, the Kurgan knew him. he was knew he was there. And I guess that has to do with that, that whole thing it. that you learn that you know that feeling of sickness that you feel when there's one of your own. But he knew the guy's name. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe it was prophesized in some way. I mean, like you know, Ramirez, Ramirez knew too. But to they come looking for him. But yeah, I'm, they, I feel like they're drawn together, and especially I, I, if I remember twenty years ago from the show, I feel like they're they gravitate, they're pulled. You know, aside from like a quickening, they're, they're yeah, pulled yeah. together. Well, that's part of the whole thing of. Um, you know what what's going on at the end, and I don't remember if they're calling that the, the what the quickening is is kind of nondescript in this movie. Yeah, um, they almost they, they almost made it presented here like it's a tournament or some sort of yeah. You know, whereas I think the quickening is is like the power that oh you get once you one you know it's called that's what you get that's and when what, you get Sean kind of go that's the quickening and he puts his <laughs> arm up and goes. <laughs> But I guess he's referring it to it like you're feeling that power growing in you, and then when you get beheaded, and that the quickening leaves your body and goes into whoever killed yeah. you. Um, but they're being drawn by definitely by the end of the movie when the, the the idea is that as the immortals are getting picked off, as fewer and fewer are there, then they do start to feel this pull, and they'll and that they will it'll eventually convene. In a far off land, which ends up being New York City, where all of them will meet to to win the prize. So, but and so that also what Sean Connery was almost prophesizing about, where he was saying there can only be one. Does that that would lead me to believe that at the end of the day, if everyone else, you know, were murdered on Earth, uh, the immortals, if it was only Connery left and Lambert, they would have to duke it out. They would have to. It doesn't seem like a. Yeah, but no, but I don't. But that's see now. This is where our ignorance comes in. Is there a force that like you know, I don't want to do this, but I have to, you know, because there could only be one, you know, or is it they can can they live? You live on your side of the you know the tracks. I live on. Well, mine. you know, there's an interesting thing that happens because they seek each other out. I'm you know? about to spoil the end of End Game, uh, so if you don't want to hear the end of End Game, okay, I'll put my uh, earmuffs on. <laughs> I believe to the to my recollection, the at the end of the movie Highlander End Game, it's like. Uh, Connor McLeod, oh, no. Duncan McLeod, and the bad guy yeah. are left. But the bad guy's so strong because he's killed so many other immortals that, like, they can't defeat him. And so, uh, spoiler alert, Connor makes Duncan kill him so that he can obtain all of all of connor's powers and go after and then he would be strong enough so it's definitely is it is it notable the bad guy is he's like a cool you you'll you'd recognize him for sure um i'm trying to think he might be the bad guy in i think he's the bad guy in passenger 57 Oh, that, 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 yeah, that guy. I always get confused who the bad guy is in between Passenger 57 and Executive Decision. Executive Decision, it's what's his face? It's David Chousset, right? Yeah, David Chousset. So it's definitely, yeah. if that's David Chousset, it's definitely Passenger 57. It's that bad guy. Yeah. And I, <laughs> to my recollection. I, I mean, I haven't seen that movie, you know, in a long time. I brought that up on another podcast where my wife saw Passenger, saw Executive Decision and saw David Suchet on a plane. She's like, he's going to kidnap the plane. He's hijack the plane. <laughs> <laughs> right afterward, uh, but yeah, that's so that. But I never seen that guy in anything else except Passenger Fifty Seven. I guess he pleased with the bad guy in a couple of things, like nineties. Always been on black. Um, to my recollection, he's the guy that plays the bad guy in uh, Endgame. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of crazy mythology, and and I guess you know, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that they probably didn't think about when they did a, a 
one-off movie yeah, yeah. that they had to later develop. And this is that age-old question we talk about with Star Wars, or we talk about with any other franchise movie. It's like, was it all there? I mean, clearly this wasn't. But, like, you know, you hear Lucas saying, like, I had all nine already written out on my tablet. So it's like, yeah, it's but, interesting. But for years, I've been like, who the hell came up with this idea? Yeah. Like, who came up with this? Fireman. <laughs> you know, so uh, I was happy to, you know, I was excited that we were going to do it so that finally I could investigate this and we could find out who did it. Because I, I think <clears throat> the kind of the making of it, I, the kind of the the uh, the birth of the idea, I think, is fascinating to me. Um, and it does answer a lot. And, I, and unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the stuff that you hear about what the original intention was that didn't get crossed over until the final shooting script and made into the movie. Um, you kind of, you kind of, at least I do, I kind of hear some of that stuff and be like, oh man, like I wish that was more clear yeah. in the film or played up more. It's going to be a lot darker, the script, the original. So basically, because I was like, who came up with, what? because it's, it's, like I said, it's a kind of an out there idea. So for somebody to sit down and say, like, I'm going to make a story about these immortals and they have to fight each other. Why do they have to fight each other? Okay, they need they get the power of the person and they have to kill each other until there's only one left and blah, blah, blah. And then you get the special prize, which it turns out I don't think the prize is mentioned in the original script. But basically... Uh, it no, was. the quickening or I don't think the the prize are mentioned in the original. But script. the general, like the 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 initial kernel of an idea, uh, came in 1982 uh, from a film from a screenwriting student at UCLA named Gregory Wyden. Now, after this, Gregory Wyden went on to write Backdraft, and. He wrote and directed a movie that I would love for us to do at some point, The Prophecy from 1990. Yes. <laughs> we love The Prophecy. Wow. Uh, wow. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know that cleft on your lip? I put it there when you were little. So shush you. Uh, Terrible Christopher Walken impressions. So now <laughs> he wrote this as a, screen, as a screenplay for a writing class, and he had a teacher that was enough of a good dude to say, like, you know what? There's That's something good here. Idea. Because even he says, you know, even Wyden says, like, look, I was just the first thing I ever wrote. If he said, like, this is garbage, you should throw this out. He's like, I probably would have because yeah. I wouldn't have known it was good or not. Uh, but he had a, film, uh, a writing teacher that was like, you know what? This is pretty decent. I'm going to help you sell this shit. Yeah. Now, where the original idea comes from is uh, <clears throat> before this, before he wrote it, he had taken a trip to London. And he was at the Tower of London. Yeah, that's out of his mouth because a lot, if you read online... It says that he was in Scotland. Scotland and stuff like that. But out of his mouth is he went to the Tower he of London. He says it's the Tower of London. Yeah. Now, I've been to the Tower of London. I've been to the Tower of London. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker, I've been to the Tower of London. <laughs> and I don't know if they changed the exhibit. You know, like I've seen the, the armor yeah. uh, at the Tower of London. And I don't recall there being... Now, this could be wrong. I know if you go to like the Met here in the city... Uh, there's armor there. Yeah. And there is, like, Japanese armor and European armor from different centuries. I, To my recollection... What's that? Japanese. How do you know I bought it in Japan? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, to my recollection of my trip to Tower of London, I don't remember there being, like, a whole bunch of different kinds of armor in terms of... On display. Like, yeah, yeah, like, in terms of, like, different regions and different you know there was a shitload of armor there. there's crown jewels but it all, all, but shit, it all yeah. seemed pretty european and it all seemed 
that it might have spanned a hundred, you know, hundred two hundred years, but armor is kind of just armor. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he, maybe you see some innovation, but uh, but he says to him, he recalls there being like Japanese armor and all these different kinds of armor. And as he's walking through this uh, exhibit of all this armor, he has this kind of thought of what if all this belonged to one dude? And but it was his, like he wore it, so he wore. He was in Japan, and he wore this armor in battle. And then he fought in this battle, and he wore it, you know, in Europe, and he wore this. And so it was like the original, like that little kernel of of inspiration came from, like, that one guy through time had all this stuff, and this was his collection, which you kind of see a little bit of that in the movie. Well, you know, it very well could have moved around. I mean, I've been to the... Yeah, I'm saying, like, when I was there, yeah. it could have been a different exhibit because I'm fucking I, 1979 or whatever. I've been to the Leeds... Whenever he went. I've been to the Leeds Royal Armory, which is, like, has all... It's a big gun museum and weapon museum in England, the biggest in England, and they had, uh, I think, at the time I was they had Japanese armor, and they had all yeah, like, the yeah. history of weaponry, and you mm-hmm. have that kind of thing, so it very well could be just like, you know what, let's, we need to yeah. update this. One, <laughs> my rec- for 50 years. One, my recollection could be wrong. Two, certainly could have changed yeah, over 40 the last years. 40 years. You know, they need to like, we need to update this, you know, so, and so he other, goes and sees that. And the other thing I thought was fascinating by like the second inspiration, like that's the, that's the uh, original like little inkling of, of, a, of an idea. And then the second comes from a movie that I love. Which I've never seen. Oh man. I know. <laughs> we if we had known earlier, <laughs> you know. I would have I would have watched it for this. Yeah, The Duelist. Is The Duelist Ridley Scott's first movie. Are you the person I always talk to about this? Because for years I've talked to somebody about this and how such a cool idea it is. And then when we were doing this, I was asking around work. I was like, were you the guy? And everyone's like, no. you know, like, Maybe, because no. I, I really like The Duelist. A yeah. friend of ours, Aaron, had it on DVD. And I had never seen it. This was back when I lived in Porchester. And so. it's pretty sweet looking because Keitel look, Harvey Keitel's in it and he looks like he's sporting like the De Niro look from like the mission. He's got like the long hair and the yeah, mustache. Yeah, well, you know, there's the, 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 there's, the casting is a little flawed. Yeah. Uh, because basically the idea of it is it's really Scott's first movie. It's produced by Tony Scott. Yeah. Tony Scott. And uh, Ridley Scott uh, made it in 77. So, I mean, yeah, it's the first movie so it had to be before Alien. Which was 79. And um, the idea is that Keith Carradine mm-hmm. and Harvey Keitel, I believe, are French revolutionary soldiers. Okay. So that in there, in, therein lies the, the like kind of the poor casting. You don't, you don't believe them being like Marie Antoinette's. Uh... <laughs> because, you know, it's like having Harvey Keitel in, you know, Last Temptation of Christ. I mean, there's just like, they're so, he's so not, you know. Does he go, <laughs> and they don't speak in French accents or oh, anything, yeah. you know? So, well, that a little, I can forgive a little of that because a lot of times you get, I mean, every Nazi World War II movie, yeah, all yeah. the Germans speak with English accents. So, that aside, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the idea, the of idea it is, is that they get in a, they get in an argument. Uh, in the beginning, towards the beginning of the movie, and yeah. they're going to have a duel. As you do back then. <clears throat> back in those days, yeah. which Lambert does yeah. in this movie, actually. Uh, and something happens, and it it never gets resolved. And you find out that basically, like, Carradine is fucking scared shitless, and he doesn't want to do it. So then the entire movie is him trying to avoid having this duel 
over a span of like 20 years or something or like 10 years. It's like year, it's like a long time and then it's like the fates bring them together different times and, during this time period. And isn't it becomes Kaitel's character's like point in life to and, finish this duel. And it becomes it's yeah. like you you wronged he, me sir. He, he's almost but he's almost like, you know in a in a very in a very different way but you know how like in duel the movie with the truck yeah. like you know that it's just like you don't really know anything about the truck other than that he's after uh i forget the actor's name it's right. uh, dennis weaver dennis weaver you know obviously he's not this monster or, or giant truck he's not jaws or something but to my recollection like you're following keith carradine through the movie so then they kind of like they meet up like four or five times throughout this this period of time this extended period you of know time, nothing about and Kytel. they start having and they like and Kaitel wants to have this duel. He wants to. So all you know about Kaitel, to my, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but is that like Kaitel wants to finish this fucking? Thing. Yeah, he's been wronged, and he wants to. <laughs> and so it's the idea. Did Ridley write it? I don't. I don't know if he wrote <clears throat> it or not. Yeah. I mean, it's visually really interesting, and it's such a cool idea. And I think those are the things that I was really drawn yeah. to it uh, when I saw it. Um, but like that was kind of. That was an inspiration to Highlander because in the original script, like that's what the Kurgan and McLeod were. Like there was this unfinished business that was going; they were going to reconvene several times over centuries. Yeah, and it was like at the at some point, like the Kurgan's only real thing is like he wants to kill Lambert, he wants to kill McLeod, and he wants he, and he wants to end it. Like, he wants to be the the one, but he doesn't even care about the prize anymore. Like, he doesn't, like, it's the thing that gets him out of bed. Is like, I got to go fucking, I got to fight. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the idea of that rivals an unfinished business carrying through a period of time was what inspired the original script. Now, that's a, this is an example of something that I feel like it doesn't play that strongly in the movie. Certainly, maybe because I've seen the duelists, and so, like, I know what that story is that it doesn't translate. Like I've never thought, I mean, I, I never thought that like, I mean, I guess you get the sense that the Kurgan's motivation is, I mean, even, even though they, you know, he goes to McLeod's keep in Scotland and where he kills Marmiras. I just never got the sense that like, it was like the two, being mortal, together. E- mortal enemies throughout history. I mean, I guess this time around, it really, it more resonated with me watching it. And he's like, go kill McLeod. And then he's going to behead uh, McLeod in battle. And then McLeod's friend comes and saves him. I guess I know, you know. Yeah, but I won't, they, they make this, they allude to like, he needs to, there. if, if he, if, if Clancy, the Kurgan gets the wins it all the prize yeah he'll be it'll like he'll rule the world yeah it'll, it'll, it says it'll be mortal men will endure an eternity of darkness yeah. and that's it that's all you need to know shit's gonna be fucked uh but i always felt like watching but then it but it also looks then it could be the unknown like it, you know if, if he's clancy searching him out you know what's his face may not know that it's that much of a yeah. hard on like you know where do when where does where does uh mcleod go when he shows up at the keep 
Like he's conveniently away. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he he like leaves for like is like, it like on a fishing trip. Wa- I don't remember. If, I don't know if we watched the director's cut or not. We I think we did because we had they had the deleted scenes that were in the were in the like the, you know, had the duel in seventeen something that yeah. was it in the original theatrical cut. It had oh, okay. the had the guy doing the fl- he, the guy in the park car park just flips away. It's like. <laughs> Isn't it easier to just run? <laughs> like just way down yeah. the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's right there again. Yeah. Um, you know, it had, it had like, because they, they, evidently they they cut like eight minutes out of the American cut, which I understand they thought there was some humor in it that American audiences wouldn't get the, that European audiences would find a little more funnier. But then the thing they cut out, which I thought, and I think I agreed with maybe the director with is they cut out the scene about how he met the girl Rachel in the World War Two. Yeah, he yeah. saved her from Nazis, and I'm like, if you take that out, I agreed with. There's no point to, later on to understand the connection that she's. It's the same thing, and she's been with him because then I felt so much worse when he goes and ends up with Brenda. He's going to go bed, bed Brenda. <laughs> He's like, hold my calls, and then like when the elevator door shuts, Rachel's like, but I love you too. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> I mean, I so, guess it's supposed to be more of a father-daughter relationship. Yeah, but, I guess. Yeah, but um, you, you know, when she comes to age, I'm sure she was like, "I love you." Well, she's pretty hot. Yeah, I know. Even that, <laughs> even that age, she's what in her 40s or 50s in this scene. She's hot as balls. To yeah, me. I mean, I think she's probably the most attractive woman in the whole movie. Yeah, in my opinion. you know. But, um, but I guess my, what I'm guess what I'm saying is like the idea of like this this unfinished business between the two of them being the basis of like a huge arc over the movie just doesn't read that strongly to me in this. I yeah. mean, you can read like when you hear that and you just like, Oh, I can see it in there. It goes from what I was saying earlier. Like, I feel like there's things about the movie that you can read into it that I don't think are necessarily there as strongly as they could be. For what I've gathered from it. I mean, once um, Heather dies, and he decides, he puts the sword in the ground, my life here is over, whatever, I'm going to move on. He becomes almost like the waltzing Matilda. He's going to go w- w- roam the earth. But then when he, he he lives all these different other lives, but when he gets to New York, you know, he's an antique shop owner, but he's living like kind of like he's he's not like, like uh, you know, he's not spending money going out, like, look, I can't die, getting drunk, you know, like doing all kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. you think he would. He might you know, have gotten that out of his system. Yeah, the- <laughs> but like he's kind of living low low key, and then you see it feels like he the, they're being drawn to him, like the guy at the beginning in the in the parking lot underneath the garden. Well, or, that has to do with the the. Like the what they talk I don't I can't remember if that's what he's re- but you know that, what I mean like it looks to, like they're coming to him they're trying to search him out he's not looking to go he's not yeah, traveling he's the world. definitely not out participating hunting in the, in the, in the game yeah I mean, he's protecting himself yeah he's not ice tea and surviving the game <laughs> Or uh, well, he's more. I guess he's more iced tea in surviving the game. Right? He's not. He's, he's not Busey. Yeah, or he's not. What's him call it? He's not um, uh, Jean Claude in, in in Hard Target. No, but again, Jean Claude's being hunted. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you tell me. Yeah, I guess. He's not. How does it feel to be hunted? You tell me. <laughs> you should know better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then what's his face? Hey, he's boy. definitely like. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he's out. Trying to get the prize. Yeah. He's, but there's explained in the movie that at some point when there's so few of them, they will be drawn together to complete it. Yeah. So that's why everybody's showing up in New York. Which leads you to believe then that that's also another level of like irony or sadness is that he could be his best friend. You know, you, me and you are immortals. But then once there's two left, it's like well, yeah, it's well, that you urge. Get, you know, you get that sense with, uh, I forget his, the character's name. But like oh, the, 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 the black, black guy, guy from the yeah. in, in Central Park. That, what's his face ends up beheading? Because he doesn't he say that to him. He's like, there's not going to be any. 
Yeah, we're well, not going to tell. Like over the years, they both known they're, they're immortal, but they've been friendly. Yeah, and so they they can hang out and talk, you know, and, and hang out Shit. and not and not worry about the other bunch drawing the sword on them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and then, so they they have they shoot this uh, parts in New York, parts in England, parts yeah, in yeah. Scotland, but yeah, so. Uh, Wyden writes the script. Those are like, and the other thing is that like Ramirez, uh, not Ramirez, the Kurgan's character in the original script is kind of more of a character, and he's more of like a dark, brooding character, almost in a way that you're almost sympathetic. Like he's he's the result of centuries of being an immortal. Like he's been made this way. Yeah, because after, of no one. And then do you ha- do you own a novelization? I don't, you know. Okay. That's the problem with that's the problem with doing the show is I don't sometimes you know that I don't necessarily go hunting for them. And then when we it's, come up with it, it's like we don't have it. Yeah, you know. So like, I didn't even know what existed. I have it. It's on its way now. <laughs> <laughs> Paid top it's, dollar for that. It's, it's in the mail. But they talk about in the novelization that they expand on the Kurgan's backstory, where he was his his first death occurred in uh, nine seventy BC. Or his, his drunken father crushed his head with a rock, but then he returns to life and he proceeds to take a, make his father swallow a hot stone that kills his father. And then after that, it talks about there's all these different, you know, he's, he's with Attila the Hun and he's with yeah. the Mongols. And, you know, he, and then he starts, like, it's almost like, pleased to meet you. Open guess me. Like, it was like the, the Cynthia sure, the Devil. Yeah, yeah. So by the time he gets to Scotland in 15, whatever, to, to, for this battle, he, yeah, he's kind of already battle hardened from being yeah. an immortal for, what is that? Jesus over 16 or 17 centuries at that point. You know what I mean? So he's already like... Yeah, I mean, know, that's kind he's of... He's affected. <laughs> that's the other thing that like I just feel like could be a stronger... Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm picking on the movie, and I don't, no, I don't, I don't mean to be. But you're right. Because it, I, genu- nice. I do genuinely love this movie. Yeah. But I feel like it, the whole theme of... Like the romance of it, and and the book certainly the movie is very romantic. Not just in the love stories, but just like the idea and the the whole romantic idea of the mortality and all this stuff. And uh, but I feel like, and it's and that's another thing that I it's there. I just I feel like I wish it was a little bit stronger. Which is after Heather dies, and then when he meets, um. Brenda, maybe? Brenda. Like, it's not as strong to me that, like, he's completely lived a life of isolation. Like, he hasn't really had love between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like that's, like, a really important theme of the movie. It's that, like, this idea of that um, immortality, part of that double-edged sword is that you end up once it sets in of the the heartbreak that you could have with immortality, that you tend, like, you then live a solitary life. You live in seclusion. You isolate yourself from everything. Whereas, like, you have all the time in the world to live, the like, to live life. Yeah. But you end up, you Walking. end up not living life. Yeah, you end you, up not taking advantage of what life has to offer because you're, you don't want to get hurt again. You don't want to hurt other people. You don't have to deal with the, the pain. I mean, in the original script, they talk about that, like, uh, you know, he leaves the village instead of being banished, that kind of, like you're saying, he, he decides to leave on his own, you know, uh, all these little different things, you know. Um, what's Like you said, um, 
the Kurgan, is, he, he's known as a knight using the alias Carl Smith, maybe. He's not a savage. So it's like, oh, there's all these little things. I would have loved to learn a little bit more of the Kurgan's character. Yeah, well, you know, you like know. I said, like, I, you know, it never occurs to me that... Because for me, when he gets to New York, yeah, he's kind of like, it's almost like he, uh, it's like he, he's jumped the shark a little. When he's driving around, knocking people yeah, over. Yeah, I feel he's too... He's over it's the funny, top. It's funny that his last name, alias, is Kruger. Because he's totally like Freddy Krueger in like the later movies. Yeah, because <laughs> like, I feel like... cracking. Yeah, he's like, a badass in the older movies. But then this is, like the, this is like the spoiled son of that guy when he gets to New York. And he's... I mean, there's the shots in New York when he's in the hotel, which I think are directly inspired by Terminator. Yeah, totally. You know, when, when the T-800, it's like almost it's the same apartment building. Like that guy's <laughs> like, hey, buddy, you got a dead cat in there? When he goes next door, it's like, hey, buddy, what it's are you doing with candy in, in there? This building. Yeah, and so it's like you have him practicing with the, the scenes where he's practicing with the sword. And then when he's, when he's walking, they're, they're dolly with him and it's low level yeah, yeah. wide lens it's like right out of terminal like you know uh <laughs> give me i just the uh, you know. uh i just feel like um the idea of like love lost and then shutting yourself off to it it's just not as strong as it could be because the idea because like it took me to be like you know it, it took me to like hear something that somebody said in 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 research which was that like brenda reminds him of heather which is not clear to me at all. No, that's, that's what I yeah. mean. Like, it's that it would almost be more, it would be so much more powerful if you got the sense that he lives this, like, horrible life away from everything. I mean, he has Rachel, but... Um, Have that more, and, more and Bruce took, Wayne and kind took, of a... Like, and it uh, took somebody, yeah, like to, Brenda, to, you to, know, want him to, to, for him to want to live again. To, 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 to break you know, out like, of his shell. You know, it's like, in the, you know, who wants to live... Forever, who dares to love forever is like in the Queen song, and I think that romanticism, that romantic notion, I think is what a lot of people, and especially probably women, are drawn to with this series and, and this movie. I just feel like it totally, it could have been used for so much more effect in this movie, and I think having that in addition to a little bit more backstory of the Kurgan. Like you can then almost understand why the Kurgan's so fucked up because yeah. he's now, you know, he, he's what what's he's, his like a thousand, he's like a thousand years. He's lived this even a thousand years longer than yeah than Lambert has. So this is so it's like after a thousand years, imagine how like how what that what that life of seclusion and and cutting yourself especially off if he didn't have a good upbringing. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, to begin with. yeah, you know, his dad's a drunkard. Um, you, know. you know, like. Because then, really, what do you have to live for? Yeah. Other than Murder there's, there's the prize at the end of the you know at the yeah. end of this thing, and so like I feel like if you combine those two, which uh, you know could have been, you know, seems like they were probably in the original script, which I'm very I'm positive that the original script probably, you know, was not the strongest script of all time. Considered it was written by a student, it was the first thing he ever wrote. I mean. I'm <laughs> You know, you know, in a first you know, draft. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it was great, and it certainly had ideas that have resonated. You know, in thirty over thirty years of uh, of the series, they all they all come from that from his original ideas. I just feel like more of that could have been exploited. And I he guess. at the time uh, he was a 
in film school, but he was putting himself through film school being a fireman. Yeah, that's so he was like a three for three years. He was a fireman. He said he like wrote a lot of it probably in the firehouse and all yeah, this kind of yeah. stuff. So and he's that's going where back. That's where the script from back. Yeah, came from. and I know a lot of people who I I'm friendly with who are firemen have a lot of issues with backdraft, and I like backdraft just fine. I mean, you know, I think it's a fun movie. Yeah. Russell Crowe, Kurt Russell's great in it. Uh, I absolutely love uh, Donald Sutherland's character in that movie. He's amazing. That little cameo mm-hmm. he has. De Niro's got a great how they they have the fire be a character, but a lot of the fire firemen are like you know, and just, you and you know, i were taught by a guy who made uh, a spoof of that a spoof yeah uh, backfire. backfire backfire and uh by adine bell who directed <laughs> in backfire uh shelly winters uh robert mitchum's second to last movie telly savalas's last movie and the great what's her face kathy ireland kathy ireland <laughs> <laughs> who stars in that movie. Um, uh, now, I just want to shout out to uh, the Brothers Hastings, which we talk about a lot yeah. on the show. Uh, Steve is the one that did the music that you hear at the beginning of the show. Dave, I did the Silver Bullet cast with uh, several years ago. Dave had a... Dave at some point acquired, bought a projector, a uh, slide projector, but like elementary school style. Uh, you know, I guess more, more than a slide projector, like a film strip. Oh, okay. Projector. So it wasn't like he had that the no, thingy. No, it was like you, you lace up the film strip and then... You're the guy next door like, you want to be the... You have to hit the button <laughs> forward. You have to get over to the next frame. Oh, wow. And then when the tone hits on the yeah. tape, beep. <laughs> and so on drunken nights, we would sometimes, we'd set up the film strip projector and we would watch like... He had a, a series of uh, Explorer ones, so we'd watch one about like Magellan. <laughs> and it was with a tape? Yeah, with the tape. Oh, so you'd have the tape, you put thing, and it would like, duh. And I think it might have even been like fancy enough that when it beeped, it might have even. Did it himself? Did it itself. The arachnoid lives in the thing. Beep. <laughs> but part, because he bought a collection, he bought a collection that clearly was like a whole bunch of these Explorer, like National Geographic style Explorer ones of, for for like an elementary or primary yeah, school yeah yeah so like like I said Magellan probably Columbus you know whatever and then he had this other one that was uh, an elementary school like film strip adaptation of a Mar- Mary Shelley short story called The Mortal Immortal mm-hmm. a tale and which she wrote in 1833 and uh, we would watch this one a lot. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of Highlander because it has to do with uh, the guy. And that's post Frankenstein, right? Didn't she write Frankenstein like eighteen twenty or eighteen nineteen? Yeah, I don't know the dates. Uh, I think she wrote Frankenstein. You know, um, you, we're gonna have an intern look that up while I continue and explain the story a little bit. Uh, so there's a character named Winsy who gets a job working for an alchemist, mm. and he fancies this girl in his town named Brenda. Not Brenda. That's this movie. Her name's uh, Bertha. (laughs) (laughs) Big Bertha. (laughs) And, you know, she goes out on dates with guys, and I think she lives with, uh, she's been taken in by, like, a wealthy family. 1818. Oh, yeah. So this is, you know, long after. She's uh, established. Yeah. Because, like, she didn't even print Frankenstein. The first printing of Frankenstein didn't even have her name on it. And then she passed in 1851. So what did you just say? This is 18 what? 1833. Okay. Uh, and basically, so he falls in love with her, and he's trying to keep up with, you know, all these other dudes. Uh, she likes him, but he gets so he's so busy with working for the alchemist that he ends up like missing a date with her, and she gets really mad. And she's like, you know, <laughs> don't you dare treat me like that. 
<laughs> you know, like I want a guy that's gonna put me first, kind of thing. This is my yeah, recollection. She calls her up. She says, "Listen, you fool." <laughs> this is my recollection. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the film strip. She she paged him and she nine one one him on his pager. <laughs> so he's so she leaves. She yeah. leaves him. She like kind of dumps him. He's so heartbroken. Um, he doesn't know what to do, so he goes back to work. And the alchemist is working on a potion. And the oh, alchemist oh. is like. I got this potion going. It's going to be doing some shit overnight. I want you to watch it while I go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, wake me up if something ha- if it does something, like if, some- if it changes. And the alchemist tells him something that he thinks would, like, tells him that the potion is something that he thinks the guy would never want to drink, which is that it'll take love away. Like, it'll ruin, like, it'll, it'll, you'll never feel love again. Um. Because he thinks the guy would never want to feel that. Mm. It would destroy love. So he tells him that as a warning so that the guy won't go near it. But the, but what the alchemist doesn't know is that he's heartbroken. He doesn't want to feel love anymore. So when it changes, he fucking drinks it. But he only ends up drinking half of it. I don't remember why that's significant. But he drinks like half of it, and then he like, spills the rest. And the alchemist is like, dude, that wasn't a fucking love potion. That was an immortality potion. Bro, <laughs> what are you doing, bro? <laughs> And so there's like this 20 year old guy that's now stuck in, in being immortal, and he ends up being with Bertha. But then, as Bertha starts to get older, it becomes a controversial relationship in town because everybody's like, "What's this old lady doing with him? Why is Big Bertha with?" And her? so then it's like, it's very much that he ends up then he becomes obsessed with his own morta- his own immortality, and uh, he ends up leading a life of seclusion. And there was always a line that me and the Hastings say: "It's like." Almost like present day in the in the film strip where he's like, "What's that? A gray hair on my boyish head?" Because <laughs> you know, it's, it's like an average school uh, uh, film strip. Um, but the idea is that uh, this, you know, that as he loses everybody he loves. I mean, like you said, it's very much a vampire thing. But also, I don't know if that really became a huge vampire thing. Until, Until I, maybe Anne Reiser yeah, explored like I it. And I think she wrote Interview with the Vampire maybe in the 70s. And yeah. So, I mean, like clearly, uh, you know, Mary Shelley was doing this uh, a century before. <laughs> yeah, prior to that. <laughs> uh, but this idea of of, of love and, and isolation, uh, a, very, a very powerful thing and certainly relevant in the Highlander story and this movie. I just feel like it could be probably a little more um a little more exploited that reminds me of there's a um a a story that got made finally in a movie in 2007 called the man from earth uh and it was written by um a writer named jerome bixby for people who would know him he's he did fantastic voyage he did a lot of star trek uh first season uh, the original series stuff a lot of the big episodes and he wrote this story and it was about a guy who uh, I think he was an alien or something that comes oh, it fell to Earth. Man, that fell to Earth. Well, it's it, it's titled the man who the man the man from Earth. Oh, okay. but you're thinking the man who, the Bowie movie the Bowie movie. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's if that I never seen the Bowie he's movie. He's an so, alien. And this one, I think that I saw it in 2008 when it came out, so it's 10 years on. But he assembles his best friends at his cottage. Tony Todd's in it. A lot of good character actors in it, and he explains to them that you know I'm immortal. Uh, Either I'm immortal and I'm a human, or I'm an alien that came down and I'm immortal. But I have to leave because every this this is what happens. You know, at some point people are going to start questioning me. I think in, the, in it he's he's 
he's playing himself off as a college professor. So he, ha- he has all his collegiate f- professors over and he has to explain to them about, you know, I have to go now because this is w- always what happens. You know, I, I st- overstay my welcome. People start getting curious and there's a big, you know, and, you know, they end up chasing them out of, you know, with pitchforks, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so and it, it's, it very much sounded like this Mary Shelley story where it's like, and then there's this big, you know, and uh, yeah. the big thing was the, the, the author, uh, the writer died and they finally made this movie after the writer, but it was one of the writers. It might've been the writer's last thing he wrote before he died or something, but it was a very classic sci-fi um, story. But it is an idea that I think, you know, I, um, I, I, I read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein a couple years ago. I found that a very hard read, but then I read Bram Stoker's Dracula. I found that also a very hard read because Dracula is very much in, like, it's all chronicles. So it's yeah. all like notes, you know, diary, diary and entries and stuff from like this doctor or this person. So, um, and, you know, they don't make Dracula very sympathetic in the, in the you know, he's, you know, I think they, from my recollection, they play that up over time. They, aside from being the Bela Lugosi you know, he's the ultimate seducer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then they started to have the idea of, oh, this could be a tragic character. Sure. You know, sure. the Anne Rice, which I certainly they played on in, in Interview with a Vampire, and I'm not familiar with a lot of her other vampire novels, but, like, certainly that was the idea with, you know, the uh, the movie with Brad Pitt or yeah. Tom Cruise at, like, you know, or what's-her-face little... Sure, and then... The, what's the girl? Coppola's. Yeah, uh, the Coppola's version, which is... Uh, Trying to be very um, uh, loyal to the to the original book, how they do the chronicling of the different passages and diary entries and all that kind of stuff. But, but it that isn't one's very much like the reincarnation of Elizabeth and shit like that. Uh, the movie, yes, yeah. Um, you know, which is, I think, like I said, I think could been ex- that that storyline could have been kind of more exploited. Maybe not that Brenda is. The reincarnation of Heather, but certainly like almost like he's drawn to her. I thought since I had seen it all the way through in how many years, I was thinking there was going to be some sort of reveal with um, what's his face is in it. Who, who it's a great early role for him, uh, Joe Palatino. Yeah, Palito. He died. Uh, oh, not Pol- Joe, John. Yeah, Pol- Polito. Polito. His his he died in the last couple of years. Yeah, he like that right? a year ago or so, within the year. His boss in it. I thought there was going to be a reveal that like, he was a Highlander or something. He was taking so much interest in the case or <laughs> a skinny John you know, Polito. Yeah, and, you know, mustacheless as well. And so I don't know if I try. <laughs> That's a, 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 a joke for some out there who understand that. Uh, but like you know, him taking the interest, and then Brenda, the, she, her coming in from forensics, and he was like, "I don't, you can't read this." So I thought he was trying to hide. That he sure, knew something yeah, more. Yeah. Um, the cops do disappear at some point. Yeah, they just they, they just, just, they just we don't need we don't need that plot anymore. I love though there is a scene at the beginning when it might be when they're investigating the uh, the beheading under the garden. The idea of uh, one of somebody says. No, that's that's like one step beyond stuff, and I love that's a reference to there's another show that was like Twilight Zone that was called One Step Beyond, and I guess I don't know if anybody gets that, but it's like saying <laughs> like you know this is Twilight Zone stuff, but they they they're going even more obscure with One Step Beyond. I was like, I got that. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so they they it starts in the garden, and I guess originally they wanted to have it be a hockey it match. It was supposed to be a hockey game because they wanted to the emphasize the, the brutality of the fist fights and, and it was stuff. Where the sticks were going to be juxtaposed with the swords, and, and he was and it, it was going to call him to have a. But then the NHL was like, we don't want to be associated with something that violent. Which is like in the mid-80s. Yeah. I mean, the 70s were really the heyday of violent hockey. Yeah. But the, still in the 80s. Yeah, you're getting you know, some... There's still a lot of fights got broken out, so it's kind of very silly. that. Yeah, we talk about our uh, hockey in, in, oh, uh, yeah, a great deal in our Slapshot yeah, podcast. Slapshot. <laughs> and we talk about Blake's history with uh, his, his, his professional hockey career. 
Um, so they had to, the bet next best thing, I guess, is wrestling, or as my yeah. dad calls it, wrestling. Wrestling. So they get they get wrestlers in there and they do a wrestling match. And I couldn't believe at the beginning of it that camera move at the beginning. Yeah. I was like, they're, were they using a drone in 85 or 86 when they it shot this? It's kind of awesome, right? Yeah. And it and it's something that you see nowadays, uh, you know, ball games. Yeah. They have it all and it's nothing. It's on, it's on wires and stuff and that's nothing now. And I thought that was relatively new, new in sporting events in the past 20 years or so. But this thing here that was actually also um, created by the gentleman who did the... Um, he created the Steadicam. The Steadicam. Eric Brown, who yeah. we talk a lot about in the Rocky podcast. Yeah, he pioneered this thing too. Yeah, it's called the Skycam, and it works on a pulley system. Uh, you know, I think it's what? There's like four pulleys, and it's overhead, and then there's like f- there's one in each corner. And then within that, the camera's on a... must be wires, and then it's programmed by the computer so that yeah. the computer estimates it so the camera can seamlessly move by the, you know, one pulley moving, this pulley moving, and it, you know. Yeah. You know, so, like, the one pulley will pull or let slack, and the, yeah. and the camera will And the move. camera's doing, and the computer's gauging it so it's perfectly effortless. And it's pretty. It looked like they were using a drone. Right on. You know, you I mean, know, at the beginning, like even, of it, I was like, how are they get this shot? Even footage doesn't look that perfect. Yeah. You know, like, cause it starts up at the screen, looking at a screen of the fight. Yeah. Then it goes down, like, over the crowd, low, low, pretty low. You get the wide angle, wide angle lens of yeah. like the whole match. It comes around. It's and like almost comes, like it's on a bird or a bee, you know? Yeah, and then it comes around and it turns, and it goes up, and, to the, and the, then the, it starts to go up to the upper level. Yeah, where Lambert's sitting. Well, what he's doing at a? <laughs> they, they can't explain that. What he's, <laughs> he's, he a needed, re- he's a big wrestling fan. Yeah, he's like, you know, I like the old fight. But he's not enjoying himself at all. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, because he's having a bad night. He thought and it was going to be a hockey mask. And then they mind. wanted to get even closer than they could with the wide-angle lens, so they ended up cutting on a flash. Which is, you don't notice at all. Yeah. You know, and the, yeah, so they needed, because with the, they had a wide angle to get the whole thing at the beginning, but then they couldn't be able to get pulled into, like, they wanted to end on a very extreme close-up of Lambert's face. Yeah, and with the lens that they were using, they would have had to get in like a foot away from his face and then it would have been like fish-eyed kind of yeah probably. and then they were worried if the thing misses mark hit him in the face that's the end yeah, of your, your momentum lead. you know who knows how accurate this <laughs> thing could stop on a pulley system so they brilliantly they did it twice the move and since it's a it's almost like the dykstra flex yeah. or it can do it seamlessly the same thing twice they just did it once with the wide angles second time with the with the with the close-up or the 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 the, the, the um Zoom lens or whatever. Yeah. And they just, like you said, everybody was natural. They shot it at a real wrestling match. So everybody naturally was shooting. In the old days, you have flash cameras. They're trying to get, which, which probably, yeah, probably came out terribly. They couldn't see anything. Yeah, yeah. It was all dark. They're dropping their, I know. <laughs> they're putting the bulb in. There's those kinds where you stick them in the top. Yes, and the there's Fisher like, Price. And there's, there's like five. Of them. five. <laughs> <laughs> we brought that up at one point. Uh, as a memory, yeah. So they just said, hey, we'll just use a flash. And they just put a f- white frame over and when a flash went off. And then all of a sudden, they're seamless. It's pretty amazing. And they get up right in his face and they end like right near him. The, the camera work and, and with, the tra- with the transitions and everything are pretty amazing considering. I mean, that you're saying is like computer operated. Okay. So, but still... Um, it's, still pretty, it's still pretty impressive that it's so smooth. Yeah. And that they can be so... So perfect for 1986, and then, but you know, and then like when we're in the uh, we're in the garage, and then it kind of pulls off kind of into the ceiling, but then it does that 
you know, what's now kind of cliche, where it's, it goes into up. the darkness and then up over into like wall, the, into Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, or even though I, I was impressed with the fish, with the, the fish bowl is really cool. It comes out fish tank, and then it goes. It kind of zooms in the fish tank, and then it kind of pulls up, and then you see the the wave of the water. And they're on, they're on the lake on the Isle of Skye or wherever it is. In, but in what's Glen impressive Cove. to me about those is that like, because they're clearly they're shooting one on a. Uh, you know, they're shooting in, like, England, either yeah. on a studio or in the parking lot. They had to shoot the parking lot bits, even though it's supposed to take place at the Madison Square Garden. I don't know why, but they had to find a... They found a car park or they parking garage. With, they they went and, and it, it was, for tax purposes and stuff, making it an English production. You know, you yeah. do that sometimes, where if you... If you... You can get a, a write-off. Tax here. credits and, and write-off if you go and you say, look, this is going to be a British or Canadian. They do it in Canada a lot, where it's like, this is a Canadian production, which means we have to use X amount of Canadian actors, X amount of Canadian crew, or in this case, British crew. I have to use the British crew. Locations. And then, um, the, like, the bulk of the movie has to be shot yeah. here. So they found a, 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 a... It wasn't even a parking lot. I mean, it wasn't even a real garage. It was like a market. And they had to, like close it in so it looked because it was like i guess that that's all exposed and then yeah. they had the they brought in american cars and then they they shot the whole thing there but at the end of the the sequence there yeah and that's even impressive you think about i mean i guess they did have a they had what the 19 million but at the end there when he at the, the sequence when he kills the guy and all the cars i mean that's it's not just they're turning the cars on and having the cars shine. Their cars are like hopping like it's like they're like in a Dr. Dre video. They start like, you know, you know they start yeah, popping yeah. a little bit when he's getting the quickening into his system. And then uh, and then with, with the transitions, you know. My point is that like you have to, they're at, at the very least weeks apart shooting those two things and having the speed. Yeah, you, you have know, to match cause, it because there's so much. Well, the cinematographer, there's yeah. so much human error that can happen. You there. have to really be uh, on your ball, uh, on your game, and know. Like they said, they brought they brought a fish, they brought the fish tank to the lake, and then they had a they had to have a box they submerged to put the you know to have the the, the camera go into so it comes out with them yeah. on it and all that kind of a thing. I mean, it's very impressive because a lot of it, like you said, you see that now par and parcel. Uh, everywhere, everybody does this stuff because yeah, yeah. it's seamless, especially with CGI. Sure. You could do this well, stuff. CGI, but even you know, with the advent of just like digital editing, yeah, where it's like you can sp- like those Star Wars, you know, like you know the Star yeah, the Wars, wipes. the wipes, you know, like that. You've seen the old, but serials. even like the fact that you could speed up and slow down, ramp up or ramp down footage, yeah, it, with a couple of keystrokes, yeah, you know, instead of having to optically print it that way. In the old, I remember days. they used to tell us because uh, Blake and I, we sh- when we did when we were in film school, we did the first three years we used linear. Uh, editing machines, meaning we physically cut the, you know, we were on like a Steenbecker Moviola where we had to physically cut the film and put up tape put, it together. Yeah, and tape like, it together and then, you know, sync it. But our senior year, they let us use Avids. And that was the first time really that we, we were able to cut on. Um, and that became the, you know, after us, I think everyone started cutting yeah. non linearly the entire time. And now you've made a career out of it because you're an editor. But <laughs> that's what I do for a living. And I remember they used to say to us, like, you know, uh, you could, because it was amazing, you know, when you're going from a linear, a Steenbeck or whatever, when you're, I mean, we're getting in the weeds, but you have a, you have your film, you have different audio tracks, you know, you're kind of restricted on what you can do. But when you get to the non linear on a computer, you know, the sky's the limit of how many. Ch- layers of audio you could have sound effects sound uh dialogue music and i remember they used to warn us like if you're going to do effects yeah you know do them in like a divisible of like one second yeah you couldn't you couldn't then if if when you're done cutting the movie and then you want to uh take that and print it 
to have it be film again so you could say it in the old days showed in a theater yeah. you'd have to watch out because the optical printers to do those dissolves or do like uh, fades or whatever they wouldn't be able to do it right you, you have to have a certain amount of frames for it to yeah, work yeah 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 it had to be visually just, it had can't. to be like because we're also we weren't even like 24p wasn't even out yet so we were doing it at ntsc so we were doing like 30 29.97 yeah which is like a frame video a second which was video versus a 20 camera that's 24 but they said like make sure you do like a full second yeah because you need to have a full second when you, know. you when you Once take you start, it and you bring it back to, f- to film to bring it back to the <laughs> yeah you, you know. have to have it like divisible by 30 or whatever so that it could be how ha- it could be like you know it just had to be you had to do like an even number yeah that was that would be calculated but nowadays nobody yeah nobody even knows this stuff never you know i mean because now i mean what we were going through was our freshman year we had to rent a, a, a an editing machine and, and you know nowadays people just are doing it on their laptops <laughs> we're like old hoagies like in our day um, so, and you have the, it's, now you get into, you have the funniness of a Frenchman who can't speak any English. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the casting. <laughs> yeah. So we have Lambert is noticed because you brought up when we did Fifth Element last year, uh, Subway. Yeah. And I remembered that because you brought it up. And when we were looking up this, I've never seen Subway, but I've heard of it. Yeah. And then I saw that he evidently did Subway with um, Luke Passant mm-hmm. and it was a, a success and it's like an underground movie. And then from there he does Greystoke. Uh, <laughs> Legend of Greystoke, Tarzan, uh, Lord of the Apes. Yes, thank you. Uh, and he knows he, had, he knows no English in there and he learns almost maybe the script phonetically. He learns phonetically. the English kind of frenetically. Yeah, yeah and then... The movie. But they, they didn't know that. Yeah, they, so they're like... So the director, um, what's his fellas? Uh, Mulcahy is looking... At like the list of actors, and he sees in a magazine, I guess Lambert from Greystoke. He's yeah, yeah. still, and he's like, "That's our Highlander." Yeah, basically they hire Russell Mulcahy only having seen they see Razorback. Yep, and then they go and they find out that he's a music video director, and they look at his music videos. They're like, okay, we need somebody that you know has a fresh look. Yeah, and they like his Duran Duran stuff he did. So at the they time. hire him, and so now they're looking for actors and he and Mulcahy kind of describes that you know when you work in Hollywood basically they give you a list of actors when you do a big Hollywood movie that's the same like 10 people yeah and that changes every and five then every years. five years the list changes but they say they originally casted Kurt Russell I don't know how true this is but then he backs out because he goes and does big trouble with John Carpenter there's yeah the, the what if game in terms of actors is, all I could find was Kurt Russell and Brooke Adams yeah in the Brenda character which I kind of feel like Brooke Adams would have been a little bit too old by then I mean, she's the one that's in uh, Envision of Body Snatcher 78. Yeah, she's what's her face. And uh, also um, Cronenberg's Dead Zone. Okay, which is right near around that time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she could have been four I mean, or five that, years later. I, I I don't know. I mean, you know. 78, I mean, it's, you know, it's almost. Well, they had they were talking about 10 years. Mark Singer, too, as as the, you know, the, the what if game for him is extensive. Michael Douglas, Richard Garris, and Ford. I mean, you know, Richard, uh, Viggo Morganson, Christopher Reeve, Kevin Costner, Sting for a minute, maybe David Bowie, uh, Mickey Rourke, then Ed Harris, all the people, Bell Gibson, everybody who was huge at the time. Uh, yeah, I watched this uh I remember watching this thing online, and it was like a Q&A and after a screening for like the anniversary, which I guess was two years ago. Of this. Yeah. Um, and it's Clancy Brown and Leia Bear, and the girl that plays like his fucking bitch of a wife at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, don't leave the yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, he's about the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. <laughs> and... Uh, 
And somebody asks about like, uh, you know, was it true that Mickey Rourke was cast or that they were and Clancy's like, the only person I ever heard from McLeod was Kurt Russell. And, uh, Christopher Lambert was like, yeah, all I, he's a Kurt Russell. He's like, the only person I ever heard too was Kurt Russell. He either wanted him or they couldn't get him or he got it. And then he left for some reason. But that's what they, they, they were like, we didn't, we didn't hear anything about Mickey Rourke, but we do know that Kurt Russell was being considered. And there's a whole, it. you know, there's a whole line there for the, the Kurgan. They had Rugger Howard and Nick Nolte. That might've been cool. Um, and then for Connery's character, they said like Clint Eastwood, um, uh, a couple people. Oh, I heard uh, Catherine Mary Stewart was maybe cast as for for Brenda, but for unknown reasons, she backed out. They can't really say why. I don't know. I mean, this is all conjecture. Yeah, yeah. Um, you never know what's yeah. true on the internet. Uh, you know, they say Lee Van Cleef, Clint Eastwood, Malcolm McDowell, Gene Hackman, Michael Caine, Peter O'Toole were considered for uh, Ramirez, but they get so they get a Frenchman to play a Scotsman. They get a Scotsman to play a Spanish Egyptian. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so Russell Mulcahy can't find anybody he likes. He sees in like he's in a magazine. He sees a picture of Lambert from Greystoke. Bang! And he's like, That's our guy. Yeah, you know he's just he's got like this kind of timeless, almost uh, regionless look. Yeah, and uh, he's he was born in America, so he's an American citizen. So they just were like, oh yeah, he. Oh really? He, I didn't. know Yeah, that. he was born in America, but then his he. As a kid, as a really young, they moved to I think Switzerland and then France, um, which which Lambert ends up, you know, he always kind of felt like he was not of any place, you know, oh, being per- a kid personally. that moved a lot. So he he kind of really related to McLeod in that way, yeah. that you know, a guy who doesn't really have a home. Um, that you know, kind of moves around in a lot. So they were under the impression that he sp- that he spoke English, and then when they they met him, he realized that he didn't speak any, <laughs> any English. And so uh, it's funny because you have this guy who's, for all intents and purposes, French, because that's kind of like that's his that has become like his first language, uh, playing a Scotsman, and then they hire Connery to play, who's a Scotsman, to play. An Egyptian turned Spaniard <laughs> with a with a tan and uh, so it's a very odd casting. Yeah, I think ultimately I feel like um, Lambert's Lambert works in the few in present day. Yeah, because it's like it's been a hundred, it's been like a couple hundred years, and his accent becomes like regionless, and and it's just like he's lived all over the world, yeah. so it's become this weird. Because even the cop, which I think was in the original script, which is well at least the shooting script, which is like because after Wyden sold it, it was the the film was then that script was then taken and rewritten by two guys, yeah, that became the shooting script. But I think even that script, the cops like you talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from nowhere. <laughs> Um, but it's also kind of funny because, you know, Lambert yeah, took a lot of speech classes. He had to take speech classes to learn English. And yeah. then had to t- work with a dialect coach to do the Scottish accent. For like three or four months. Um, and then and- then on top of them, him knowing that Connery was cast, he's like, you know, he said he wasn't nervous, but it was just he needed to be, you know, prepared when he got yeah. there to, be, to, to really work on that. Scottish is hard. And then he said, and Connery was very helpful and would be like, no, you know, maybe you should this. you should emphasize this syllable yeah. and stuff like that. And it's funny because you have Connery then not emphasizing his Scottish accent yeah. there. You know, but then I read, I saw an interview or read an interview with one of the producers who said, when all was said and done, like 
Lambert's French accent was pretty bad. So they went into an ADR studio, automatic dialogue recording, and redid basically the entire movie. They went into a, an ADR studio for five weeks and sat there with a dialect coach with Lambert and re and dubbed all redubbed all of Lambert's um uh, all his principal photography? Yeah. They die every so everything is overdubbed. Yeah, I mean at least in the in the the Amer the at modern le stuff. at least in the modern stuff because they wanted it to get as regionless as possible. Um, I mean, because he day, was still had a very thick French French accent in the original. Because it cut. sounds, I mean, he does. This is the story we talk about, like with a Peter Lorre, where these these guys within two or three years learn. Which is funny you that know. you say that because every time my mom hears Christopher Lambert, she thinks he sounds like Peter Lorre. He's talking like this. With your eyes, there can be only one. Only one. Only one. The quickening. Let me tell you about the quickening. <laughs> <laughs> Very well, that's Walter DeCasley right there. Yeah. And then played by, um, my name is Rodriguez, James Mason Rodriguez. That's the quickening <laughs> with the arm up. Um, so he does a pretty good job. I mean, at points, it's weird because he has a weird hairstyle. I mean, Lambert in that day for me always looks weird. Like he looks like he's wearing a piece because the hair is it's in such a way. Like it's in present day or in the past? Pre present day. I mean, the past, it looks natural. It looks like yeah. he's Braveheart. You know, it looks like proper for the era 80s Lambert it kind of looks like it's big it doesn't know what he wants to do with it is it MacGyver or is it a, is it <laughs> is it a is it a, is it a uh, thingy in the back you know it's you know funny because I, mean? I mean I'm sure with the Tarzan episode I mentioned this but there was uh, there was one summer when I lived in Portchester where we had this kid who went to the college that Deanna and I went to but we were already graduated but he was a friend of a friend and his name was Ray and he ended up moving in for the summer in between school years and he took over a front of ours room who moved out. And we always affectionately refer to that summer as the summer of Ray. Uh -huh. And Ray hooked up all our all the video game systems that we had in the house into one television. So it was like they're all linked into each other. So we had like NES, Super NES, Sega Genesis. <laughs> Walked in and he had like them all laid out on the floor. And for some reason, we got on this huge Lambert kick. Yeah. And so summer of Ray is always kind of equated for me with the summer of Ray. Uh, Lambert, Summer Ray kind of go hand in hand. And uh, and it got to a point where it would be like, oh, so you want to watch a Lambert movie? What do you want to watch? And Ray would be like, "What is the, well, what's his hair length? Because <laughs> long hair Lambert, that was his favorite. His favorite Lambert was a long hair Lambert. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it just, it, it, you know, I don't know. He's, it seems like he doesn't know what he wants to do with it. And then there's other times where he's he looks sick. Like he, his makeup almost looks like he's Treat Williams from Red Heat, like Dead Heat. <laughs> Like he's, you know, cause yeah, he looks yeah. ill at some points, you know, you know, going through the thing. And then there was one time we were watching Highlander 2. Mm. And I remember we were like, kind of like both sitting on his bed, watching it in his room. And one of my favorite Lambert movies is is Fortress by Stuart Gordon. Mm. But in Highlander 2, there's uh, something says, there's a, there's a line of dialogue where they say Fortress. He says, Lambert says the word Fortress. And I repeated it doing like a Lambert impression and it's the only time ever where I fucking nailed the Lambert impression because in my head I said it and in my head I'm thinking man I just fucking nailed the Lambert impression I don't think I'll ever do this again it's a one time impression and then Ray turns he's like dude you sounded just like him right there 
That's like your day of being um, David Lee Roth. No, I had one day where I really wanted to go to karaoke because I completely lost my voice. And you were getting sick. And I could do all those crazy David, I... Lee, David Lee Roth screeches. Yeah. <laughs> um, one day impressions. That's all. That's <laughs> that's, that's what you're good. We got to get you right it's when like you're I'm on. like a superhero. Yeah. I can only do it. I can only do it once. Yeah, only once. <laughs> uh, so um, then you have Connery. And Connery, I don't know. I was trying to think of like how I saw him first. I might him. I might know him from Darby O'Gill and the Little People before I know him from Bond. Mm-hmm. And this is the only movie uh, Highlander aside from Bond where he plays the same character more than once. And uh, they had seven days to shoot with him. You know, they got a week and flew him in. And it's so funny. To, like I see it a lot in in Bond. He's being like a bad guy, tough ass. He doesn't have to impress anybody. He hardly smiles. You know, he's a ladies' man. He's slapping ladies. <laughs> No, he's yeah. doing whatever you know. Do whatever he needs to do. Shields, yeah, he's using his shields. He's like Still just days. yeah, all the, you know, he can get away with it because he's like fucking you know, Sean Connery. But when you look at him, Darby O'Gill, he's always like you know, he's making love to the cameras. How he's, he's always like you know, hello. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And in this movie, he's doing it all the time. He's like, that's the quickening. You know, <laughs> you know, he's, just, he's, you know, he's like, you know, even like when he's his lines, like, you know, what's that? Haggis. What do you do with it then? <laughs> so, yeah. you know. So. um I thought he was really funny in this movie, but it was just an odd bit. Of, it was they talk about uh, who had just was it Cayman who had just come off of Brazil, maybe he had done Brazil yeah. prior to this. To me, like his character is like right out of like a like a Terry Gilliam movie. Well, like, he's in uh, he's in Time Bandits. Time Bandits, which is I guess prior to this, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like uh, I haven't seen Time Bandits in who knows how long, but I don't. Well, remember. It's funny because we just recently talked about Cayman because then Cayman do the, the yeah. score for Lethal Weapon. Yes. Yeah, I knew we came up with him recently, which so was Christmas. our last episode. Yeah, it was, <laughs> there's the connection, the break over. But it's just funny for me because, you know, I, you and I always do Sean Connery impressions, and just to me, he's just milking the geese. Hello. <laughs> Egg salad sandwich. I do it great. Yeah, yeah. You are the me. <laughs> you are the one. Um, and... Uh, and they say they even said that at one point when he got up to the location, he was drunk off of like homemade scotch or whiskey. Oh yeah, so, it was a moonshine. Was, yeah, his, his friend. Yeah, and he got his private plane up there, and and it just you could tell it's like pretty badass hanging out with Sean Connery. You know, like he's flying. They said that he would fuck. With, he he was really nice. When he got up there, he was, for the first day or two, he was telling everybody, you know, what they should be doing. Like, this guy's doing this wrong. Because, you know, but then he got comfortable. He's okay. But they said he'd get the set. He'd, like, he'd be taking a helicopter in the set, and he would just purposely, like, buzz the set twice to get the, the just the sand at the beach. And, the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd come here like, hello. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, he's just great. Yeah, fucking sand in the mag. Yeah, the he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I am the last one. And then so, uh, and they only had him for a week. And then at the end, it was like, the, the, the problem was there was a bet going on that if, I guess, if he they went over a week, They'd have to pay him like an extra five hundred thousand. I guess it wasn't even really a bet. It was probably contractually obligated that if he went past the seven days, that they were going to have to pay him like another couple of million, half a million dollars. Or yeah. Something. So at the end, there, uh, Mulcahy just put him behind like a like a background, just a, just walk out of the frame, walk out of the frame, look past, look angry, take your hat off, take your hat out. Okay, good, you're clear. You know, and they got and they it worked. You, you know? know, going up until you said he was watching his watch, and the minute like whatever yeah, five o'clock, it's all right. You know, <laughs> all right, strict crap. British rules. You know, tea time. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's it's I think it does a really at no point do I feel confused especially during going that's a it's you it, I guess it is an achievement for the original writer or the people who rewrote it or even the the, the filmmaker that it is it, on the offset it is a very convoluted story. Yeah. And it is presented in a simplified way. I mean, they're bouncing between Jesus, the first Scotland and then and then you're going through time. So with flashback that's always inherently 
you know, that brings its own baggage, how you can successfully bring flashbacks in and have it be work right, you know, and then especially when they're jumping around to like the 1700s or if they're jumping around to World War II. Sure, yeah. You know, so uh, it ends up being, but th- but then you could see why this is ripe for a franchise because you have immortal characters who've been well, immortal the for thing. the time, it's, you know, for the... Because the, you could go anywhere with it. Yeah, and that's what well, they've ended up so doing. so many different, so many stories could be told. I mean, in some ways, I think that was kind of the disappointment for a lot of people, of viewers with... The second one, which is like, there's so many places you can go with it, and but like, you're taking it literally off out of this world. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, there's so many things within just like the rules that were already set. You could make so many uh, amazing stories, which I'm sure they probably explored more in the television show because in a long form, even though I'm sure the budgets were, you know, minuscule comparatively to a to to a Hollywood movie. Uh, you know, in a long form, you can explore all that stuff, which I can understand why a show like that would be successful because it's very much in the vein. Uh, I mean, at least story wise, you can look at it very much in that drifter, kung fu, incredible Hulk, yeah, guy, highway you know, heaven, traveling through time, <laughs> yeah, you know, except for traveling through time and, and doing stuff. I don't think you know. I think the majority of the show, probably for budgetary reasons, was set in present day with flashbacks, just like the movie is, but. Um, but you could, you know, there's so many. The possibilities are endless. Yeah, and I think uh, I think everybody does a good job. I think Clancy Brown's awesome in it. Um, I don't know if people realize Clancy Brown has had a career now. He's Mr. Uh, Krabs on um, SpongeBob, and he's instilled himself to like a whole generation of people. And I didn't even know that. Realize that for years, that's freaking Clancy Brown because I re- look at Clancy Brown either from this or from like Green Mile, not Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption. You know, he's always this like impending badass who's like or six seven or Earth six eight. Two. Or Earth 2, you know? <laughs> and then I look at him now, and he's he's really, like, he's got, like, you know, he wears scarves. He's kind of got long hair. He looks very collegiate, like a professor. Yeah, like, he's yeah. very studious-looking, like, really educated and learned. And it's funny to think that he's been doing for 20 years, you know, Mr. Krabs. It's funny. I, you know, I went online specifically to find him talking about it because there's nothing on any of the DVDs. I never heard what he thinks of the movie. Um but all I could really find, for the most part, was this was like these thirtieth anniversary movie sc- film screenings, like with a colloquium or Q&A yeah, afterwards. where he yeah. would talk afterwards. But it's kind of fun, and maybe we can put a link to it uh, with the website because it is a kind of a fun discussion to see Lambert and Clancy Brown there because. Clancy Brown seems like a nice guy, but he also seems like a big ball buster. And you can tell that he, he does rib Lambert a bit. Does he? Yeah, but like in a fun way. Um, and Lambert certainly takes it that way. He doesn't take it like... You can tell that he, he gets... Old he, friend, he's right? in on the joke. Yeah. And even though I doubt they've... You know, who knows? But I would be very surprised because I can't think of any movies that they're in together other than this. I'm surprised, I would be, be surprised if they hadn't really seen each other that much. So his character doesn't reprise in any other. No, no. This is you know? it for the Kurgan. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that it's called, he's called the Kurgan as, like, that makes it make you think that he's part of a tribe. Or a, yeah, well, I think you know that's I mean? part of the backstory that might be more in the book, in the novelization. Yeah. Um, which is that, like, he's part, he was part of a clan. Yeah. Like the McLeod, the clan McLeod, but the, the Kur, well, they were the Kurgan clan. Yeah, and then he kind of went through and he, all these different parts in history with Attila Hunt or uh, the, what's his face, uh, um, uh, the Mongol, uh, what's his face? Uh, 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 you know, not, I'm going to say Rasputin, but not Rasputin. Attila, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Uh, 
And then they don't really explain what happens to him by the end of there. Like, I mean, we see why he has the throat slit, but then all of a sudden he shows up with like, he has the, the uh, baby, the baby pins in his, in his throat. And then he has his head shaved. Oh, it's because the, because the sketch artist, the Vietnam vet kind of vigilante gave a description to a New York uh, a police sketch artist. Yeah. And that sketch is on the newspapers and stuff. So he shaves his head and does all that as like to, oh to like blend in to be the sky. So I he see. doesn't look like the guy in the sketch. Yeah, because it becomes He's very to much be incognito. incognito with that. And then he, you know, then then he says like I got something to say. Yeah, and the scene in the church, he said he had to apologize afterward to like the the, the, the priest and the the nun there. He had I heard he had an idea that he wanted the character to wear like a suit and a bowler cap, which I thought would have been cool. But he it does he does look cool as the eighties kind of like <laughs> yeah, Return yeah. of the Living Dead kind of punk. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it is weird that whole scene after the vet or the Vietnam uh, vigilante when he gets in the car with the woman and he's driving around knocking people and then the whole in his ca- and I like that like the, the you know he's driving like on the LIR or something and he's like I knew who he is and he, you know he's putting the tape in <laughs> <You know>? yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like so it's funny that you know they start the Queen and you know we talk about Queen as the soundtrack but they weren't the first people they were they were talking about getting um, reportedly uh, Bowie and Sting again. Or another British band called Marion, uh, a whole bunch of people, you know. But then they decided, I guess, what's um, what's his face knew uh, uh, Russell uh, Mulcahy knew Queen, and then he approached. Yeah, them, and yeah then he, that knew, was he the, knew Queen, so he called Freddie. And yeah, said, uh, as you do, you know, just and that's how you that's how you're able <laughs> well, to. Make I guess when you work in the, yeah, and also it's kind of it's also he did their videos. He did a couple because Cayman kind of comes from a rock background. Yeah. Also, I mean, Cayman had worked with I don't know in what capacity, but he had worked with uh, even before, um, you know, later he, with with Lethal Weapon, and then. Uh, with Edge of Darkness, and he ends up working a lot with Clapton in the late 80s and early 90s, but apparently at some point he had worked with Pink Floyd, he had worked with a lot of rock acts, so uh, it he's was kind British of... British too? And I believe he's British, yeah, but so it's a good pairing to have him work kind of in collaboration with a rock band, because he kind of gets them, I think he, he was used to arranging kind of rock songs, orchestral arrangements for like, to... For rock and pop, and they were only supposed to do one song, Queen. And then when they they were going to do Prince of the Universe, and they was the opening number, and then Mulcahy showed them like twenty minutes of footage that they cut together, and then they basically came out and they were like, "This is awesome! (laughs) Like we all want to write a song for it." And that's imagine you like, oh, you're you're going to like provide the the three fourths of the soundtrack. That's amazing. So I think Freddie writes Princes of the Universe. Uh, Roger Taylor, I think, writes It's a Kind of Magic. And Brian May writes uh, Who Wants to Live Forever. Um, but there's even more on there, really. Yeah. Uh, they do a version of New York, New York, which wasn't available for years. I don't even... might be on a box set now. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's something that they did because uh, I've heard... I don't know if it's in the script, but I heard that, like... It's possible that Clancy in that scene oh improvised improvised just yeah singing I heard that New too. York New York and then I wonder if after seeing that footage they decided to do a version of that would, yeah. and that's pretty know, popular at the that. time because people always think of you associate that with Sinatra and you think of that but that's that's later Sinatra that's Sinatra from like the seventies or yeah. eight you know and it was originally Buzzerface right 
Wasn't it written for New York, New York? That's why it's called Theme from New York. Yeah, yeah, New York. yeah. What, so that's uh, Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli, yeah. So for so Sinatra, you think of when they always play it anytime the Yankees win or something, you hear it, or when the or at New Year's when the ball drops in Times yeah. Square, you think of it being like Sinatra from like his capital years. But that's like Sinatra from like the world we knew were like. Uh, yeah. Well, when's New York, New York? I mean, that's like that's 80. eighty, right? Yeah, it's eighty or so. So that's either right then or right after Sinatra does it. But yeah, it's become yeah. so iconic. I even thought, you know, it's Sinatra like that's life that era. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, but so yeah, so it is. Uh, you know, it's almost like Sid Vicious doing a cover of uh, My Way. You know, it's like that, and you know, it's like, oh, that's cool having another, <laughs> you know, a, a, a modern version of a, yeah, of a song yeah. like that. Uh, and then the, I guess the novelization had a different ending as well. The ending is like he doesn't he settle down, and I think it's the it's expanded in the novelization where they. He, he he him and he brings uh he says goodbye to Rachel and he brings Brenda back to Scotland and they they take a tour for for a while they pick up an they own an antique shop and then uh I think that they're able to uh he find he goes back and he finds the burial place of of Heather and uh, Ramirez and he and he's Ramirez and he's able he finds uh, some timbers from the original place and he fashions a cross there and then he I think he he talks about that she looked a lot like you, and then he and then maybe it might be even be if this is in the original script or if this is in the novelization that once he he's supposedly the last one he's then able to have children, he becomes mortal. It turns out like the prize yeah. is to become mortal, but yeah. he also has like the he has like the all knowledge at least in the movie. Yeah, explains like I can hear, I can feel what everybody's thinking, and I'm going to help scientists and stuff yeah. but it's but part of the prize which they're all fighting for is mortality which i don't know if they even know they just they're, they're drawn to it and then the ending i guess it's also worth noting that you always have for me i've always iconically knew the tv shows big effects when they get the quickening comes into them and all that yeah, kind of yeah. thing uh i guess the quickening term they say it, that comes from the in the womb a baby first moving the first signs of movement is called the quickening and uh interesting yeah so maybe that's where they got that from <laughs> so, but so i've always known that the, you know the tv shows yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so it was interesting at the end of this when he when he decapitates clancy brown and then you have like it almost turns into like the uh the monsters from like forbidden planet like showing up you know and then and it's all very i love the, the animation. i so love that era of special oh it's beautiful effects. and then it's it goes into animated him. Yeah, and then it goes into him, and then it's very much. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, that whole ending scene with, uh, I mean, they talk. I, the, if you look online, they say it was originally supposed to be on the Statue of Liberty, but then when you watch the featurettes, they were saying it was supposed to be at Coney Island. But yeah, it was just I heard too it was going to be on, like on the Cyclone. Yeah, but it was going to be too expensive to actually build that and destroy a huge roller coaster in a sound stage. So they they scouted it and they thought against it. So they ended up having it be at the Silver Cup Studios sign uh, on the Queen side of New York. But I thought it would have been cool if they had it at the Pepsi-Cola sign that's there. Yeah, that's so they, iconic. But yeah, but maybe you know? they couldn't because of... So they, they shot on location in New York City. They shot the reversals of them fighting on the sign, looking out with New York City uh, in the background, and then they shot the reverse of facing the sign in England in a... you know in they, a studio. In a studio. They took it... They got an old building that was a... Um, uh, a, a, a cyanide factory, yeah. and it was built in World War One. 
with the idea that it was built like a cone on the top so that at the day of with blimps and zeppelins you had to worry about them zeppelins dropping bombs that if it was built with like a like a like an egg at the top that a, a bomb would fall just hit the side and just roll off yeah yeah so th- it was a building that was empty that had that weird shaped roof so they had it was able to accommodate height, more height than a regular yeah stage. so they built the silver cup studio but it's a it's a scaled down version, which, which is also the interior of the keep, which is very tall. Yeah, yeah, they do that as well, and then so they're able to do that, and that's amazing. I think the keep, that stuff when they're inside the keep and it's falling apart to sword hits and stuff. Yeah, it's in the studio. you know, and it, and it, and to think that that's just falling apart, and then they got to like, okay, back to one. They got to put that shit back together. I don't know how they're doing that with the moss, <laughs> and you know what I mean. Maybe yeah, yeah. You know, so they do and that. The exterior of the keep that they built. They, yeah, they built it all on location. But it turns out they didn't. They built like half of it. Yeah, it's a matte painting. The top of it, to yeah, be that tall. But still, but they're they're still they're 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 powering bolts into stone, yeah, carrying and the shit up the fucking highlands. They're whatever. saying yeah, they're saying like at the top of their you know they're at the Glen Cove of Isle of Skye in in, in Scotland, and they're saying like you know they're when they're scouting location, they're holding on the rocks to this rain, <laughs> and, uh, and they gotta they gotta build everything up there, and it looks great. It looks like yeah, it's, you know that painting looks great too. Even the the castle at the beginning they used, they said they had to get rid of like the street signs, they had to get rid of the telephone poles, they had to bury a parking lot because it was all because it was all modern and they had you know so it's like you think the of all that of set mon- preparation <laughs> the amount of money you know? spent on such things uh, and then the ending with the silver cup studio the, the sign falling apart is amazing how they did that all in one take and they had to they had all this water and they had to watch out that they, no one gets electrocuted so they had to make it so that the uh, uh, the neon signs would unplug as they fell so they wouldn't hit the water and no one yeah, would get electrocuted everybody. you know <laughs> yeah so I mean there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff that has to go into all that and you know and, and it's just it's it's amazing all that filmmaking you know you see it nowadays you see these big budget movies where these people spend millions of dollars and no one sees these movies and it's like is it worth it? It's just amazing this the the the, the real logistics they go into this they they hooking up a car battery to the swords so one's positive one's negative so when the swords connect that's how you get that spark you know all that kind of shit. it's just all this little you know yeah. that little you know and then you said the Victor Krieger uh, uh, Kruger that's like. It's a joke because Victor means you're a victor of a thing, and then Krieger is is uh, the word means warrior in, in German. So that's the that's the he's the he's the the winner of the warrior. So it's it's interesting, and you know I it, I think it holds up. It's 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 I think like you said, the more you watch it. And the more you, you know, the, the, well, this is only the first time you've seen. Yeah, it. so that's why I'm like, <laughs> times that, you watch it. That, the yeah, that's why it's exciting that. Well, it's, I think you know, you know the thing. I think when you're young, you're you're ta- you're you're drawn to the immortal story, the sword fighting, yeah. the beheading, and stuff. It's but a then, different take on. You only think of the immortal stuff as like a vampire, but it's cool to have that idea not be. Yeah. The vampire gothic tale. But you then know? you have you know, and it's also you know, but then you have. The sword fight, and you have the elder, the Mr. Miyagi, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Um, but then, as you grow old, you're with life experience, and you start, you know, at least for me, like I said, I found the the romantic stuff like really moving this time around. Uh, watching it now. Yeah. But I also, again, like the the originalness of this story, and then the fact that a movie could fail, and then spawn this entire like franchise yeah. universe of of material i mean that we're talking about like multiple seasons of it however many episodes of tv because then there was a spin-off of the series called yeah. raven or something like that and even the different genres book animation yeah. movie comic book series cartoon uh the uh, uh, tv series cartoon sounds awesome yeah. i remember seeing it like once or twice and like early in the morning but not having time 
having to get ready for school or something. Yeah, I, I remember. I have a I have a picture of it in my head, and I remember it being very stylized. But it's like uh, the, the backstory about it, about it is apparently McLeod Connor. Uh, He's the star of the show. Of the cartoon. Well, at least maybe in the first episode or something. But the backstory of the episode is like some kind of comet hits and then causes nuclear like reactors to go off or whatever. It's so like it, it's like so, what do you call it? So it's, it's like a post apocalyptic. What's the what's the one bar, we bar, bar, bar. <laughs> What's the one we like? Uh, um, yeah, uh, that, isn't that what is that? It's uh, Thundar. Thundar. Bad bar. Yeah, <laughs> Thundar. Yeah. yeah. Oogla. Oogla. Uh, Great Lords of Light. <laughs> and so because like. Uh, you know, the humanity is in such dire straits that the the living immortals call a truce oh. and say, like, we have to use our powers not to fight each other, but to save, you know, to make sure human- humanity doesn't go extinct. But then there's one asshole who doesn't want to call in that truth, like the Kurgan yeah. version of Kurgan in the show. And he goes and he fucking kills Connor. And, like, wipes out the immortals, but then there's this prophecy that there's going to be another mortal grow, uh, born. And so then you get another immortal. I don't know what has to do with the highlands of Scotland. Though there's so many. It's, it's the water up there. <laughs> Got something it's in the, the whiskey, water. the haggis. Uh, uh, let's see. What, what's his name? Quentin. Ah, Quentin. I think. Uh, he. So there's another one born, and then it's him trying to battle. Basically, what happens is... Uh, the bad guy, Corton or whatever. What the pro- What Ramirez talks about is if the bad guy wins, then he'll take over. So like, he he swoops in, Turning and, and he becomes like the ruler of the world. But then there's like an, another faction. I'm interested to see the second one just to see how they're able to bring back uh, Ramirez. You know, I'm here again. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I am the last one. I am the last one. <laughs> different, di- different Sean Connery movie. But. I had, I had the key to the, the the plague of the 20th century. I lost it. You ever lose anything? Your car keys. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. That's the that's the Chicago. Well, order. I won't ruin it for you. Don't. Maybe ruin it we'll for do me. the we'll do part two of the quickening in a future episode. Brings a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> Get out of here, you dago bastard. Um. Let's wrap this up. Uh, what were we talking audio, about? Audio dramas. Audio awesome. dramas. I see. That's some. It's like Doctor Who. It's like there's. Well, they, I don't know if they've, to my knowledge, if they did a Doctor Who cartoon, but it's like, I can't believe. I mean, you know. And then yeah, apparently, right after, sometime after the the End Game, Highlander End Game, they did like a, a Adrian Paul, Duncan McLeod audio audio drama, and then that's they awesome. did another one. That was like in 2009, and then they did another one in 2011 called The Four Horsemen, and I guess there were Four Horsemen characters in the show, and so that those actors come and reprise that's cool. in that audio drama. And then, the, you know, um, I like at the beginning the voiceover with Sean Connery. They said they recorded in his bathroom in his loo, so they didn't realize that it had this echo, and they're like, yeah, it sounds great, and then they, they had to use it, you know, it's all the... And then the, the, the swordsman he talks about who was the father of the girl he married was a real Japanese swords maker, um, Masimoto, whatever his name is, and all that. Uh, I like that. I just see. I don't know because I don't know enough about the lore. It's interesting to see how old is like Connor Ramirez as old as the Kurgan, and is he the? Yeah. Are you destined to have that Kurgan life, or are you? you no, know, I can make it. It's gonna be great, you know. The Egyptian, yeah. be grand, Operation Grand Slam. It's great. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. Yes. Doctor No. 
I'm sure there's much more we could talk about, but it is fucking late. You're a goldfinger. We're all just all, we're, we're just we're just drunk. Should have done this whole episode. Yeah. It's either Pierre Laurie, James Mason, or Sean Connery, or a, or a bad Land Bear impression. You got to work on your Land Bear, and we could have did an audio drama of it. We're back again. <laughs> Count to three. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He's always teaching everybody. Um, I am Lord Laird Diambaya. I'm just Jay Blake. And but uh, my friends call me Blake. Blake. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on uh, our home. Uh, we have our own website. Uh, you know where you can find the podcast. Uh, like us. Friend us. Check us out. Um, tell your friends and neighbors. Tell your friends and neighbors. Um, you know, you can hit us up if you want to talk to us. We're very approachable. Um, thank you for listening. We're, we're uh, here for 2018 with a wonderful year here to stay with another wonderful year of stuff uh blake has a book out scored to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers yes available everywhere and i'll be uh, i'll be back on the road in the spring <laughs> yeah see march and april i'll be hitting some conventions yes and i'll be with blake with one of those Both conventions on the east coast and then i'll be uh lonesome on the west coast Lonesome Dove. But uh, you'll hear about that in the future. Yeah, but Blake and I will be making an appearance together. That's a one-night stand. No, it's not one-night stand. It's more than one night, but it's, you know. <laughs> gotta watch out. So, uh, yeah, let let you know. I hope you're liking what you're hearing and stuff like that. And um, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully this will open uh, great. Uh, 2000, inaugural 2018. And uh, we'll catch you in two weeks. Later. Later.